Look sharp. Feel sharp. Be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports is on the air. From Bravesfield in Boston, Massachusetts, Gillette presents the second game of the 1948 World Series. This is Jim Britt with Mel Allen saying good afternoon for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Cleveland Indians and Boston Braves warm up. Gillette is your radio host at leading sports events the year around. Over various networks, Gillette's cavalcade of sports airs attractions of national interest as they occur from time to time. Every Friday night, Gillette also broadcasts the major boxing match of the week, blow by blow, for fans coast to coast. Weather-wise, today comes more nearly to the forecast of yesterday. It's gray, cloudy, overcast, cool, with a threat of rain. Not the perfect baseball day that attended yesterday's opener. Yesterday, as history has already recorded, the Boston Braves won a one-to-nothing shutout thanks to the superb pitching of right-hander John Sane, the Belleville, Arkansas ace, and the timely eighth-inning single of Tommy Holmes. Bob Feller was great, too, but he was luckless. He became the first pitcher since the Cardinals' Mort Cooper to throw a two-hitter in World Series competition and lose. Yes, and the controversy kicked up by two features of yesterday's opener lasted far, far into the night. At Hotel Somerset, press headquarters in Boston, the experts were divided on the tactics employed by manager Lou Boudreau in the eighth inning when, with a runner on second, one out, he ordered Feller to give second baseman Eddie Stanky an intentional pass. The reason was obvious enough. With pitcher John Sane scheduled to follow Stanky to the plate, Boudreau had a double play in mind. That, the professional baseball men nearly all agreed, was the smartest possible move at the time. The odds with Feller pitching favored a hard double play ground ball. But, the scribes and commentators countered, many of them at least, yesterday's game over the first seven and a half innings of play had produced so few ground balls that the Braves, with only three assists all afternoon long, tied a major league mark. Both Fellers and Sane's pitches were being hit into the air, either on a line or via the pop-up route. Moreover, a fair share of the experts argued, Stanky had played very little since his ankle fracture in early July. He is slower now than he was then as a result of the mishap, and Feller had had no trouble whatever retiring him the two previous times on a pop-up and a grounder back to the mound. The dissenters argued that it was a tactical mistake to walk Stanky, a fact which in this instance at least Holmes's subsequent game-winning hit seemed to prove. But the vast majority of the experts, the professional baseball men as noted before, agreed that had they been required to make the decision, they would have ordered Feller to pass Stanky as Boudreau did. The thing that kept up, kicked up a lot of post-game comment was a set of four pictures, which a photographer snapped at the very split fraction of a second that Feller and Boudreau attempted to pick Phil Macy off second base. You may have seen them. But it was as close a play as a modern World Series game has produced. There was and can be no doubt. Umpire Bill Stewart unhesitatingly called Macy safe. He later scored the winning run. The pictures, in the judgment of some observers, including some of the Cleveland official family, showed that Boudreau seemed to have tagged Macy high on the arm close to the time when his right hand touched second base. President Will Harridge naturally refused to be drawn into an argument. Beyond a terse, officially, Macy was safe. The American League head refused to debate the point. The consensus was, as it should be, that umpire Stewart was alert on the play. 
He was standing about 10 feet from second base, on the baseline between second and first at the time, and his decision was emphatic, unmistakable, and unhesitating. Moreover, President Bill Beck and manager Lou Boudreau sportingly accepted the decision without complaint. Although those of you who were following Mel Allen's and Gillette's description of the play at the time will recall that Lou protested briefly but emphatically at the time. The fact that that one play was the main subject of the postmortems that followed the game is proof, if you need proof, of the fact that yesterday's opener was close, hard-fought every single pitch of the way. The Indians were very sporting and unstinting in their praise of Sane's curveball. Joe Gordon, the great second baseman, admitted that he hadn't seen such a well-controlled variety of curveballs in the American League this season. One amusing post-game incident you may enjoy hearing. One reporter queried Sane on the three pitches with which he struck out outfielder Walt Judnick to end the game. Was the last one a curveball, the scribe asked? Yeah, it was, John replied. Well, what was the second pitch, the reporter asked? The one Judnick almost fell down on after missing. Look, said Sane. The word will get around soon enough what I'm throwing. Let's let the Cleveland players find out for themselves. Probably no World Series in recent seasons has been witnessed by so many old-timers. A while ago, Tris Speaker and Fred Clark were posing for pictures. As noted yesterday, as many of the world's championship Braves of 1914 as could make the trip came to Boston as guests of the 1948 Braves management. And last night, after Sane shutout, Bill James who pitched a one nothing game against the A's for the Miracle Braves of 1914, was swarmed over by members of the press who were interested in knowing how the two shutouts compared. Bill seemed to enjoy reliving some part of the glory of the 34-year-old past. He's a great old-timer. Now, here are the official batting orders for the second game of the World Series. For the Cleveland Indians, in left field, Dale Mitchell. Right field, Allie Clark, shortstop, Lou Boudreau, second base, Joe Gordon, third base, Ken Keltner, center field, Larry Doby, first base, Eddie Robinson, the catcher, Jim Hegan, the pitcher, right-hander Bob Lemon, who had 10 shutouts throughout the regular season's play and a record of 20 victories, 14 defeats. For the Boston Braves, Holmes, right field, Dark at shortstop, Torgerson, first base, Elliott, Third base. Rickert. Left field. Salkeld. Bill Salkeld, the catcher. Mike McCormick. Center field. Eddie Stanky. Second base. A left-hander on the mound. Warren Spawn with a record of 15 victories, 12 defeats, and a record of three shutouts during the last season's play.
Any hint that Boudreau and his Indians might be discouraged as a result of Feller's defeat yesterday would be misleading. They saw a pennant slip almost from their grasp last Sunday when Hal Newhauser and the Detroit Tigers beat Feller. Following that, they had to endure a long train ride to Boston and there before a hostile crowd in a park in which they had played only 11 of their 154 previous games, they staged a superb comeback to win the flag going away. This Cleveland club is in no sense on trial. The 1948 Indians and their brilliant young skipper have already proved their right to greatness. That they can come back, no one, not even Billy Southworth, has the slightest doubt. But when you get right down to cases, such one-sided pre-game odds as prevailed in this series were somewhat ridiculous. It recalls to mind what John McGraw once said when he was about to send his great New York Giants against an underrated American League club. They won their championship, didn't they, said John? Well, they must be good. Today, the umpiring dispositions will be changed. The plate umpire will be an American leaguer, Bill Summers. The first base umpire will be National League arbiter, Bill Stewart. The second base umpire will be American leaguer, Bill Grieve. The third base umpire will be George Barr of the National League staff, who was yesterday's umpire-in-chief and the foul line umpires who take their positions about 20 feet from the right and left field stands will be Babe Pinelli down on the left field line and Joe Paparella down on the right field line. And as I said that, the six umpires began to come out. One of them went over to exchange greetings with a friend. The field has been cleared of all scribes, commentators, photographers, newsreel men by orders of the commissioner for some 25 minutes and overhead the broken skies are beginning to set the stage for a little sunlight. We did have just a slight downpour of rain a while back, but it was of no great consequence. Incidentally, Warren Spahn had his picture taken, and some of them, some of the baseball men, compare his style to that of the great late Herb Pennock. He has a sneaky fastball, a good curveball. He claims he does not throw a screwball, all reports to the contrary notwithstanding, and he has an excellent slow curveball. Bob Lemon has, in addition to a variety of curveballs and a good change of pace, a very good fastball. He has pitched recently unsuccessfully in an effort to notch his 21st victory, but in his first 20-game season, he has been mightily impressive, and his performance this year recalls to mind what Jim Hegan, the Cleveland catcher, told me last winter. He said, keep an eye on Lemon, because he is certain to be the most effective of the Cleveland pitchers. At that time, Jim had no idea, of course, that Gene Bearden would have been cut adrift by the New York Yankees to become the great southpaw that he was this last season. The playing field condition here at Braves Field, notwithstanding the fact that one or two football games have been played on it during the past couple of months, is in excellent condition. The umpires now are going to their positions, and very shortly, Baron Hugo's band, which has been entertaining here at Braves Field, will set the stage for the national anthem. Down at home plate, Bill Summers is being given a supply of baseballs by the Braves ball boy, Tommy Ferguson. The Indians, as you know, had a contest to select a bat boy, and the youngster is one of the proudest kids you can possibly imagine. The idea of having a right field foul line umpire and a left field foul line umpire is one of the best baseball has had in modern times. It brings to mind a situation that occurred 
in several major league parks this year when home runs were ruled fair or foul. And then later on, the dispute kicked up rather a row. The Braves are going out to the field. Warren Spahn, who wears the number 21, the same number worn by Bob Lemon, goes out to the mound, and here is the national anthem. Ladies and gentlemen, with the second game of the 1948 World Series about to get underway, here is my colleague who will describe for you the first four and a half innings of play, Mel Allen of New York. And before we get underway, ladies and gentlemen, hello everybody, we pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. For the World Series and other top sporting events the year-round, keep tuned to 710. This is WOR New York. The broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, comes to you by the authority of the Commissioner of Baseball and is intended only for the private use of our audience. Any publication or reproduction of this program is prohibited. It's going to be the left-hander, Warren Spahn, going for the Boston Braves today in an effort to capture the Braves' second consecutive win over the Cleveland Indians. Warren Spahn, a 27-year-old, boy from Buffalo who's won 15 games during the regular season a boy who has quite an assortment of stuff got a good fastball he's got a nice roundhouse curve those of you who may have seen Jack Kramer pitch for the Boston Red Sox for example we might tell you that Spahn's curveball is well he's the left-handed uh, counterpart of a of a Jack Kramer who's a right-hand pitcher sort of a roundhouse curve and he comes in there with beautifully he was a 20-game winner last year, named after a president. He's all set to go now. Warren Spahn, he's trying to win this one for his youngster, just born some six uh, days ago, Gregory D. Stepping in hitting position now for the Cleveland Indians is Dale Mitchell, a left-hand hitter. 0 for 4 in yesterday's game. One of the leading hitters in the American League during the course of the regular season. Mitchell had an average of 335. 
And so we're all set to go, and Warren spawned the left-handers into the windup. Here's the first pitch of the ball game. Mitchell takes it, and it's outside for ball one. You've got Bill Summers umpiring back of the plate. Bill Stewart of the National League umpiring at first base. Billy Greve of the American League umpiring at second. And George Barr of the National League umpiring at third. The left-hander Warren Spahn again sets, throws. Mitchell swings and fouls it off right up here. Almost hit us. As a matter of fact, it almost got Jimmy Britt. I'm glad it didn't because I don't feel like going nine today, Jim, but I would. <laughs> so the count is one ball, one strike on Dale Mitchell. Bob Elliott, Braves third baseman, laying in close on the grass, about four or five feet off the line in the event of a bunt. Warren Spahn delivers an overhand fastball swung on, popped up in the air, foul, back up third. There's Elliott racing over near the stands. He's under it and makes the catch. One away as Dale Mitchell fouled out to Bob Elliott, who had to go a long way from the foul line all the way over to the field boxes to the left of the Braves' dugout. So with one down, up to the plate steps Allie Clark. Clark's a right-hand batter. A boy from New Jersey, around Perth Amboy, South Amboy. Making his first appearance in this World Series. He played in the World Series last year briefly. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed. A wicked hook that had uh, Allie Clark fool. That ball hit the dirt. A beautiful curveball. The outfield's around toward left. Clark was in the World Series last year in a Yankee uniform. Now the pitch. And it's very high for a ball. The count is evened up at one and one. The Braves have Marvin Rickard in left field, Mike McCormick in center, Tommy Holmes in right. The outfield's way around toward left. They play Clark to pull. Alley stands in close to the plate. Feet spread slightly. Bat cocked up off his right shoulder. Here's the pitch. He takes strike two call to curve over the inside corner, about belt high. Third baseman Bob Elliott is laying very close to that third base line. Shortstop Al Dark in a couple of steps. Over toward the gap. Spawn delivers. Clark swings and misses. Strike three. Fastball. Allie Clark went down swinging. It was a fastball. Looked to be about letter high. From our perch high above Braves Field. Just like it to the left of home plate. And now Lou Boudreaux. Who went hitless in yesterday's game. But on the season, hit 355, runner-up to Ted Williams in the American League for the batting crown. Right-hand hitter, crouches. Here's the pitch. Lou takes very high for a ball. Half-speed ball. Bill McKechnie is coaching at third for the Indians. Mel Harder coaching at first base. Eddie Stanky, second baseman, is the step on the grass in the outfield. Here's the pitch. Swung on by Lou. Little roller hits slowly down toward third. It's charged by Elliott. Is up with it. Throws to first in time for the out. A nice play. Took a good play by Bob Elliott to take that slow roller and toss Lou out just by a step at first base. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left on, and the Indians failed to score. And the score at the end of the first half of the first inning, nothing, nothing. Down through the years, baseball has undergone many refinements, as you fans know. Yes, sir, and that's equally true of the Gillette Blue Blade, which today has the sharpest, easiest shaving edges ever produced. Men, this blade is made to the closest limits of accuracy known in the industry, so it fits your Gillette razor precisely. The edges line up absolutely parallel with the razor guard and extend just the right distance for smooth, comfortable shaving. 
Thus, you avoid the harsh, irritating effect of misfit blades and faulty shaving methods. For the slickest shaves of your life, buy Gillette Blue Blades, five for a quarter. Or, for extra convenience at no extra cost, get 20 of them in the handy new Gillette Blade Dispenser for 98 cents. Look sharp. Feel sharp. Be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Coming into the last half of the first inning, that round of applause you just heard was for Tommy Holmes, who will be leading off for the Braves, the man who got the second hit off of Bobby Fowler yesterday and drove in the lone run of the ball game. So Tommy steps up, left-hand hitter, and it's Bob Lemon, a right-hander on the hill for the Cleveland Indians. A 20-game winner, the first man in the American League to win 20 games this year. Ten shutouts and a no-hitter among his victories. So Bob Lemon has the Cleveland hopes on his strong right arm today. He delivers. Tommy Holmes takes strike one call. Lemon has good fastball, good curve. He's got a sinker, too, that baffles the hitters when it's working properly. Tommy Holmes awaits the delivery. The outfield is shading him slightly toward left in uh, center and left, straight away and right, the big hole in right center. Here's your pitch. Holmes takes strike two. It's called. Fastball. It came right down the middle about knee high. Holmes, who hit 325 on the season, had one out of four yesterday. He and Marv Rickard had the only hits off Bob Feller, who lost a tough ball game. Johnny Sane, who allowed four hits, won a very good ball game. Now Bob Lemon delivers. Pitch is swung on a little tap back to the mound on one hop. Bob takes it, throws over to first base to Eddie Robinson in time for the out and is one away. Holmes bounces out. Pitcher to first. Lemon to Eddie Robinson. And now coming to bat is Alvin Dark. Dark, a right-hand hitter. Hit 322 on the season. A lad who went to LSU. Folks down in Baton Rouge mighty proud of him. Now the pitch. The right-hand batter swings, sends a ground ball out to second baseman Joe Gordon, who boots it, picks it up, fires to first. He's safe. He's safe. Bill Stewart called him safe. And now Joe Gordon comes walking over to protest the decision slightly. So does Lou Boudreau. And it probably is a matter of Eddie Robinson having his foot off the bag rather than the throw being late. However, that supposition on our part from here, the Indians all in front of their dugout are getting on Billy Stewart at first base. It's an error on the play, of course. And an error charged to Joe Gordon, which would indicate, of course, that the throw arrived too late and Joe originally had bobbled the ball. So that brings to the plate now Earl Torgerson, left-hand hitter. Stretched by Bob Lemon, checks his runner, Al Dark. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed strike one as Torgerson took the good roundhouse swing. Al Dark on first base. Good fast man. Bob Lemon gets his sign, takes his stretch, checks his runner. There's an easy lob over to first base. Dark back in plenty of time. The Indians have Mitchell in left, Doby in center, Clark in right. And now time's been called for a moment. Bill Summers takes off his mask and walks over toward the Cleveland dugout and points at someone, evidently telling them to quieten down. The Indians are on the warpath today. 
All right, Lemon, ready. There's a quick throw to first base, dark back in time, not even a tag by Robbie. Ed Robinson returns the ball to Bob Lemon. There's Mitchell in left, Dobie in center, Clark in right, Keltner third, Bedreau short, Gordon second, Robinson first, Hegan catching, Lemon pitching, Earl Torgerson, left-hand hitter of the batter. A stretch by Lemon, the pitch swung on, lined out to right field for a base hit. There's Al Dark rounding second on his way to third. The ball fielded by Clark, whips his throw into second. Dark holds it third, it's a single for Torgerson. Torgerson, who hit 251 on the season and who was hitless yesterday, lined a single to right field between first and second to send Al Dark to third. And thus the Indians find themselves on the defensive once again with the Braves having runners on first and third, one out in the batter, the cleanup man, Bob Elliott, who hit 283 on the year, who was hitless yesterday, right hand hitter, Dark on third. Torgerson leading off first. The outfield around toward left. Infield shaded around toward third. The stretch by Bob Lemon. The pitch. And it's outside. Ball one. Lou Boudreau laying in about halfway short. Joe Gordon in halfway second. In potential double play position if the opportunity should present itself. Freddie Fitzsimmons of past World Series fame through the years. Coaching at first base for the Braves. Billy Southworth at third. The stretch by Lemon as he checks his runners. Here's the pitch. Elliott. Takes high, ball two. There's activity. Activity in the Indians' bullpen. We can't quite see who's warming up. It's behind a fence out there in deep center. But there's somebody warming up for Cleveland. Runners on first and third, one out. Now the pitch. Elliott swings and lines one over Goodrow's head in the left field for a base hit. Coming in the score is dark. The ball fielded by Mitchell, holding second is Torgerson, and the Braves lead one to nothing. Bob Elliott hit a soft fly ball to left field. Credited with a run batted in. As he scored dark from third, situation set up by Joe Gordon's error, followed by successive singles on the part of Earl Torgerson and Bob Elliott. Stepping up to the plate now is Marv Rickard, who got the first hit yesterday off Bob Feller. Marv Rickard, left-hand hitter. You've got Torgerson on second, Elliott on first. One down, here's the pitch, and it's in there for a call strike. Bob Lemon got behind Elliott and had to come in with something a little better than he normally would have liked to have offered up. Lemon ready, checks his runners. Here's the pitch, and it's low outside. Ball one, one and one. Lemon taking his time. Outfield playing Rickard just about straight away. One run in, last half, first inning, one nothing Braves. Runners on first and second, the pitch. Swung on and missed for strike two as Rickard took a terrific cut at that ball. Marv steps out of the batter's box for a moment, gets a little dirt in his hands, moves back into hitting position, left-hand hitter, slightly open stance, holds that bat down the end of the handle. Bob Lemon ready. Torgerson leads off, second Elliott off first, the pitch, and it's just outside for ball two. Two-two the count. That was almost a beautiful pitch by Bob Lemon. Just did miss that outside corner. 
Billy Southworth slaps his hands, coaching at third base. Hollers words of encouragement up there to Rickard. Bob Lemon standing sideways on the mound, looks in, gets his sign. Torgerson moves off second, Elliott off first. There's an attempt to pick off play, and the runner is out at second base. They picked him off. They picked him off at second base on a beautiful pickoff play, Lemon to Boudreaux. And the play, which almost succeeded yesterday, that did not succeed and which cost the Indians the ball game, worked here as Boudreaux sneaked in behind Earl Torgerson, who took a big lead off second. And on the count, as the sign was put on, Boudreaux and Lemon start a count. Bob whirled around and fired that ball to Lou, and you could see from here that he was going to be out if the throw was good. And they got him. So Torgerson is picked off, Lemon to Boudreaux. And that eases the situation somewhat for Bob Lemon. And now they're two down, and Bob Elliott on first, the stretch by Bob. Here's the pitch, swung on and missed by Marv Rickert for strike three. And so for the Boston Braves in the last half of an exciting first inning, they got one run. Two hits, one Cleveland error, which of course proved to be most costly, and one man left on base. Rickard strikes out. Torgerson was picked off. Bob Lemon to Lou Bedrove. And now the score at the end of one inning of play. Braves won, Indians nothing. And there's quite a rhubarb going on, ladies and gentlemen, to a degree, between the Indians and the umpires. Bill Summers just hollered over to the Cleveland dugout again. The Indians are on Bill Stewart. Umpiring at first base today. Bill called the play at second base yesterday in the attempted pickoff of Phil Macy. The play in which uh, Stewart called Macy safe, and a moment later, Macy scored the lone run of the game. And now there's Bill Summers going down to talk to George Barr. As Barr comes up from third base, they're discussing something rather than know exactly what. But you can take it as uh, the gospel. The men in blue... Call them as his theme. And by and large, they do a tremendous job. Without them, you couldn't have baseball the way it's played. They call them, they're right on top of those plays. And they do a tremendous job. There are times, of course, when you think perhaps that uh, they haven't called them just the way you've seen them. But now, just a moment, Bill Summers has called Billy Southworth and Lou Boudreaux out of their respective dugouts to home plate to discuss some matter evidently concerning ground rules. That's supposition on our part. Bill Summers is pointing to something out uh, in the direction of left field underneath the scoreboard. Babe Pinelli, Babe Pinelli, who is an alternate umpire and who is stationed down the left field foul line, uh, called attention to the umpires about uh, the fact that uh, there are some photographers on top of the fence, now we see them. There are three photographers, or two, underneath the scoreboard. There's an opening underneath the tremendous scoreboard here and the top of the fence, and they were in that opening taking pictures from a point in left center field, and they have been ordered out of there. Of course, it's entirely possible that a drive could hit them and drop back onto the playing field, perhaps, instead of going on through. So these umpires, as we were just telling you, are really on the ball. And they don't miss a trick, and they do the best possible job you can expect of them. After all, it's only human to err, and occasionally they may. All right, it's Joe Gordon leading off top of the second. Warren Spahn throws. Joe Gordon swings and rams one foul on the ground down the left field line. Strike one. 
And Dave Pinelli gets a hand. The alternate umpire stationed deep down the left field line as he caught the ball. Joe Gordon, right-hand hitter. One strike on him, Warren. Spawn into the windup. Here's the pitch. Gordon takes low inside for a ball. And the count is even up now, one and one. Joe Gordon, who hit 279 on the season. Yesterday had one out of four. Spawn delivers. Gordon swings and hits one on the ground out to short. Al Dark eats it up. There's his throw over to Torgerson in time. And Joe Gordon is out at first base. Gordon grounds out short to first. Dark to Torgerson. Now here's Kenny Keltner coming up. Kenny bats him right-handed. Hit 299 on the season. In yesterday's ball game, he had one out of four. The Indians weren't able to bunch their hits yesterday. The few that they did get. Warren Spahn comes in with an overhand fastball that's outside. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. It's a one-nothing ball game favor the Braves. The Braves won yesterday's opener by a one-nothing score. Spahn working rapidly, delivers. Keltner takes, he started to cut, takes a pitch high. Ball two. There's that slow curve that Warren Spahn uses to great effectiveness, but it came in too high. The outfield is playing Keltner around toward left. He's a full hitter. Eddie Stanky's laying almost directly back at second base. Spahn delivers. Keltner swings and he misses. Strike one. He went after that 2 nothing pitch, which was that slow curve. And that takes uh, quite a bit of courage, uh, in a sense. And certainly a will to come in there when you're behind with that curveball. Now the 2-1 pitch. Keltner swings on it, sends a long high fly ball to deep left center. There's Mike McCormick and uh, Marv Rickard out there, and it's Rickard making the catch for out number two. The wind blowing off the uh, Charles River made that drive fade. Had the wind been blowing out, that ball might have gone all the way up against the wall, possibly over. Larry Doby. With two down, up comes Larry Doby, left-hand hitter, with 301 on the season. Hitting 250 in the series. He had a hit yesterday. One out of four. One to nothing favor the Boston Braves. Top half of the second inning. Two outs and nobody on. Warren Spahn delivers to the left-hand batter. Takes outside into the dirt. Ball one. The outfield plays Doby just about straight away almost. Shaded, well, they shade him slightly toward left. He can pull, but he hits a lot to left center and straight away. Now the pitch. Swung on, popped high into the air, off to the left of the plate. Coming back is uh, Saul Cal, but he can't get it. The ball's out of play. So it's a lie for Doby. One ball, one strike, two outs. Top half of the second inning, one to nothing, favor of Boston. Warren Spahn, the left-hander from Buffalo. Second half of the Braves' tremendous one-two punch in pitching. He's ready. Into the windup. Round comes the left arm. The pitch. Fastball moves Doby away from there. Ball two. Fastball inside. Mel Harder coaching at first base for Cleveland. Bill McKechnie at third. Spawn looks in, has his sign, working rapidly. He's ready for that 2-1 pitch. In it comes. Larry Doby takes, and it's high for ball three. Three and one. Three balls, one strike. 
Sun is shining out here at Braves Field now. Just before the game got underway, there were a few drops of rain that came down. But now the skies have cleared, at least in one direction, and the sun is shining. Spun 3-1 delivery to Dobie. Swung on, lined out to left center field. It's in there for a base hit in between Rickard and McCormick. McCormick makes a beautiful cutoff. There's Dobie rounding first, digging for second. He slides in with a double. His great speed enabled him to get two bases on his drive to left center that Mike McCormick cut off beautifully. But he was unable to get that throw in there in time. And Dobie, as he rounded first, decided to go for two, and he did. So Dobie doubles to left center. That's a favorite spot for him to hit into. And that is the first extra base hit of this World Series. A double for Larry Doby with two outs on the top of the second inning. And the batter is Eddie Robinson, left-handed hitting first baseman. Spawn with a stretch. In comes the pitch. Robinson takes low. Ball one. Larry Doby gets the first extra base hit of this series. There were six hits in the ball game yesterday, all singles. Four for the Braves, two. Or rather, two for the Braves, four for the Indians. All singles. Warren spawn to the stretch, checks the runner. Here's the pitch. Robinson takes outside. Ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Jimmy Hegan's on deck. He'll hit next if Eddie Robinson should get on. Robinson hit 256 during the season. He went hitless yesterday and three times at bat. Outfield plays him straight away. Bob Elliott in fairly close to third, 10 feet off the line. There's a whirl around by Spawn, but no throw. Al Dark doesn't even move. He's laying over close to second. Eddie Stanky is laying halfway between first and second, back on the edge of the outfield grass. Now Spawn again takes the stretch, checks his runner. Here's the pitch. Eddie Robinson takes a hook inside for ball three. Three balls, no strikes to count on the Cleveland Indians first baseman. Three-nothing to count. Robbie digs in. I don't know whether he'll be going for the 3-0 pitch or not. Stretch by Spawn. Here's your delivery. And it's in there for a called strike. Sometimes with two outs. And a runner in scoring position. Occasionally a manager might give a hitter. Especially a guy who hits a long ball, and Robbie does. Sometimes he gives him the go sign on a 3-0 pitch. All right. Spawn delivers. Eddie Robinson takes. And it's high for ball four. He walks. Trots on down to first base, and that brings up Jimmy Hegan. And one of the reasons, perhaps, that Lou Boudreaux decided not to give uh, Eddie Robinson the green light on a 3-0 pitch was the fact he had a right-hand hitter coming up next and might want to get him up there against a left-hand pitcher. Red Barrett is throwing the bullpen now for the Braves. Eddie Robinson on first base, Larry Dilby on second, two down, top half of the second inning, 1-0 Braves. The stretch, here's the pitch to Jim Hegan. And it's in there for a call strike over the inside corner by belt high. Egan hit 248 on the regular season. Had one out of three yesterday, hitting 333 in the series. Spawn throws, a pitch is swung on. There's a long fly ball in the left center field. Mike McCormick races over, and Rickert, and it's McCormick under the ball, and he makes the catch. Once again, that wind that blows off the river made that drive fade. And the Indians fail to score. No runs. One hit. No brave errors. Two left on for Cleveland. And at the end of an inning and a half, the score, the Braves won. Cleveland, nothing. Folks, with a new Gillette dispenser, you just push with your thumb, and there's an unwrapped Gillette blue blade. 
Ask Johnny Pesky of the Boston Red Sox, who's here with me. He says it's the greatest shaving convenience ever. Can you add to that, Johnny? Well, fans, it saves a lot of bother when you want to change blades. Also, I find it protects the blades perfectly. Folks, let me tell you something. That's right. The blades reach you factory sharp and stay that way until used. Another thing, Mal, the dispenser holds 20 blades. A good supply to have on hand, and you pay nothing extra for it. Well, that's right, Johnny, and thanks. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. And for extra convenience, buy them in the Gillette dispenser for 98 cents, a dollar in Canada. Last half of the second inning, one to nothing, favor the Braves. First half of the Braves, Bill Leading off for Boston in the last half inning, number two, will be Bill Salkel. He's the fellow who got the walk in the eighth inning yesterday off Bob Feller that led to the lone run and the winning run of the ball game. Salkel will be followed by Mike McCormick and then Eddie Stanky. Bill's a left-hand hitter. Bob Lemon on the mound for Cleveland. Looks in to get his sign from Hegan. Right-hander starts the wind-up. Round comes the arm, the pitch. Strike one called, curve. He got the outside corner just above the knees. Outfield playing Salkel just about straight away. Lou Bedreau laying over in your second. Here's your pitch. There's a curve that's high, and the count is even up at one and one. Kenny Keltner is laying about... 10, 12 feet off the third baseline. Joe Gordon is very deep at second, almost halfway between first and second. Eddie Robinson on the edge of the outfield grass, about five feet off the first baseline. One ball, one strike. One nothing Braves, last half of the second inning. Lemon throws, pitch is swung on line, solidly out to right field, and it's in there for a base hit. Clark runs over to cut the ball off, grabs it on two hops, whips his throw into the infield, and Salkel holds it first after taking his turn with a line single to right. That brings to the plate Mike McCormick. Mike's a right-hand hitter. Hit 299 on the regular season. Went 0-2 yesterday. 1-0, favor the Braves. Bob Lemon takes the stretch, checks his runner. Here's the pitch. McCormick looks at a fastball that's high. Ball one. One ball, no strike. Lemon ready. Saul Kell leads away from first. Here's your pitch. Another fastball. It's outside. Ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Lemon hasn't seemed quite as sharp so far as we have seen during the course of the regular season. Sometimes pitchers start out a little shaky and then regain that tote, that uh, special touch of theirs. Perhaps he will. Now he throws. McCormick takes. Strike call. Just did get that one over the plate about letter high. And the count is two and one. Outfield playing Mike McCormick toward left. One to nothing, favor the Boston Braves. It's the last half of the second inning. Now the pitch. McCormick bunts and pops it up in the air. Lemon races fast, grabs it in the air, flips over to first, trying for the DP. Can't make it, but there's one away. Mike McCormick attempting to drop a bunt by surprise down the third baseline. He didn't square away, as one will normally do in an effort to sacrifice at the very last split second. 
He uh, almost half threw his bat at the ball, trying to drop one down the third baseline, not only for sacrifice purpose, but definitely to try and beat it out. But he popped it in the air, and Bob Lemon, a good-feeling pitcher, dashed over the line, grabbed the ball, and while off balance, threw over the first, trying to double up Salkel, but couldn't do it. So there's one away, and the batter, Eddie Stanky, right-hand hitter, first pitch to him. It's a pitch out. There's a throw down to first base, not in time. Jimmy Hegan, figuring that the Boston Braves might be putting on the hit and run, called for a pitch out on the first delivery by Bob Lemon, whipped his throw down to Eddie Robinson, but it was not nearly in time, the hit and run not being on. Ed Stanky stands deep in the batter's box, slightly open stance, in close to the plate. Eddie Robinson just in behind the runner. Here's your pitch, and it's outside for ball two. Outside and a little high. The outfield is not too deep for Stanky. They're about straight away. Lou Boudreau is in halfway at short and over close to the bag at second. Joe Gordon's in about the same way and over near the bag. Here's your pitch. Swung on, bounced off the plate and off the foot, too, of Eddie Stanky, and Bill Summers calls it foul. So it is uh, a 2-1 count. We've just received word that those photographers who uh, were at first, we thought, run out of there underneath the scoreboard in left center had received special permission to snap pictures out there to get unusual angles of the World Series play. All right, Lemon delivers to Stanky, who swings and fouls it off to the right of the plate. Ball going out of play. One to nothing in favor of the Boston Braves. It's the last half of the second inning. Bill Salkel is on first base. One down. And Ed Stanky, the batter, with a count 2-2. Bob Lemon, taking his time now, goes to the Rosen bag, gives a bit of a touch. Then he pulls at the visor of his cap. Has a look around at Salkel, leading off first base. Now on the rubber, he looks in, gets his sign from Hegan, takes his stretch, Stanky set at the plate. Here's your pitch, Stanky takes high inside. Ball three, three and two. Stanky's a tough little fellow to pitch to. Gets a lot of bases on balls, and he's worked the count to three and two here. He has a tremendous amount of patience, loves to wait those pitchers out. To him, a walk is as good as a base at any time. There's a throw to first base, not in time. Again, Lemon is all set for his 3-2 pitch. Checks his runner. There goes the runner. The pitch is taken, and it is high for ball four. Stanky walks. That moves Salkel down to second. Bill was running. Had the pitch been in there for a strike, he might have had the chance for the double play, but it was high for ball four, and Stanky walks. Salkel moves to second, and the batter is Warren Spahn. Spawn is just a fair batter for a pitcher. He's had one home run. Of course, not in this series, but during the regular season. Hit at 167, left-hand batter. He swings and fouls it off behind the plate, strike one. But any baseball player will tell you, when there are runners on the bases, no matter who you are, if you're up there swinging a bat, you're dangerous. Last half the second, the score. The Boston Braves won. The Cleveland Indians, nothing. Bill Salkel on second base, Eddie Stanky on first base. One man out and Warren spawned the batter. With Tommy Holmes on deck. Bob Lemon with a stretch, delivers. Spawn takes and it's inside. Fastball. Backed him away. Ball one. 
One ball, one strike, one out, two men on. Game moving at a comparatively slow tempo as compared to yesterday's game. Here's your pitch. It's swung on foul tip for strike two. I'll say one thing. Spahn takes a good cut of the ball. Billy Southworth coaching at third, claps his hands together, hollers some words of encouragement up there to the batter. Freddie Fitzsimmons coaching at first base today for Boston. Johnny Cooney was on the coaching line at first base yesterday for the Braves. Outfield straight away for Warren. Bob Lemon delivers. The pitch is swung on and fouled off at the plate. Bill Summers' booming voice heard all around Braves Field. Whenever Bill Summers makes a decision, you know it. Everybody knows it. He's very decisive about it, vocally speaking, as well. Or is that redundant, Jim, to say vocally speaking? Bobby Lemon all set. Saul Kell leads off second. Stanky off first. One away. Here's your pitch. And it's outside. Ball two. Two-two the count. We just took a look overhead. We see a lot of blue in the sky. The sun is still shining. And so the rain which fell just before the game began looks as if it won't come down anymore. Here's your pitch. And it's high outside for ball three. Three and two. So Bob Lemon, trying to be a little too cagey with Warren Spahn, after being ahead of him, has now run the count out all the way to three and two. With one down, Saul Kell on second and Stanky on first. May be playing it safe. On the other hand, Billy Southworth may risk him running. We'll watch him. The stretch, the pitch, it swung on a ground ball, hit out towards second. Gordon, who is left up with it, throws to Robinson, 40 out, moving to third, Saul Kell. Down to second, moves Stanky. A nice play by Joe Gordon. As Spahn came very close to getting that ball into the hole between first and second. As a matter of fact, he hit the ball right into the hole, but he didn't have quite enough push behind it. And Joe Gordon, ever the flash still, darted to his left and came up with the ball and tossed the batter out. So Spahn on the 3-2 pitch grounds out Gordon to Robinson. And now you have Saul Keld on third, Stanky on second, Two men out, and the batter, Tommy Holmes. And now Jimmy Hegan and Bill Summers having a bit of discussion at home plate. Tommy Holmes moves into hitting position. He bounced out to Lemon in the first inning. The man who got the base hit that uh, broke up yesterday's ball game. They're calling him the Brooklyn Bomber today. That's his home in Flatbush. But his heart is right here in Boston. Lemon into the full windup, delivers. Tommy Holmes takes outside, ball one. Alvin Dark is on deck. Despite the fact that Dark is a right-hand hitter and first base is open and two down, Lou Boudreaux not going to uh, walk the left-hand hitter to pitch to the right-hand hitter. He's working on the batter, and the pitch is high inside, almost hit Tommy Holmes, ball two. Bob Lemon came in with a high inside pitch. And Tommy Holmes had to really hustle to get away from that plate and away from that ball. So it's a 2-0 count. Lou's strategy may have been anyway to have Bob try to uh, get corners on Holmes. And if he doesn't, well, first base is open anyway. Two balls, no strikes, two outs. Runners on second and third. Saul Kell on third, Stanky on second. Last half of the second inning, one to nothing, favor the Braves. Lemon into the windup, two nothing pitch to Holmes. Swung on a boundary, hit right back to the box. Lemon takes it, throws over to Robinson in time for the out. And that is all for the Boston Braves. 
in the last half of the second inning as Bob Lemon, for the second consecutive time, gets Tommy Holmes to wrap back to the box. No runs, one hit. No errors for the Indians. Two left on for Boston. And the score at the end of two innings of play, the Braves won, the Indians zero. And now we pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WOR in New York. The mutual station that brings you the World Series and other top sports events the year round. This is Mel Allen with Jim Britt speaking to you again from Boston, from Braves Field in Boston, Massachusetts. Where, under the sponsorship of the Gillette Safety Razor Company, we are bringing you the play by play description of the World Series between the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Braves. This is the second game of the series. The Braves lead one to nothing as we go to the top of the third inning. Warren Spahn, the left-hander, trying to follow up Johnny Sane's brilliant shutout victory yesterday. All set to work on the leadoff man for the Indians in the top of the third. And it'll be Bob Lemon. Bob, a left-hand swinger, a good hitter. As you know, he was an outfielder and an infielder before he became a pitcher. Spahn into the windup delivers. Lemon takes inside, ball one. Lemon hit 286 on the year. Frequently used as pinch hitter. Warren Spahn ready, into the windup. Round comes the left arm, in comes the pitch. Lemon swings and hits a blooper out into left field, waiting for it is Rickert, and he takes it for the out. So there's one away. Rickert hardly had to move to get that one. Bob Lemon flied to Marv Rickert in left. And now we go to the top of the order for Cleveland to pick up Dale Mitchell. Mitchell fouled out to Bob Elliott in the first inning. Dale still has to break into the hit column in the World Series. Yet he hit 335 during the regular American League season, one of the top hitters in the league. Spawn throws, pitch right in there for a call strike. Overhand fastball, got the plate about knee high. Bob Elliott laying in close at third because Mitchell sometimes likes to lay him down. Here's your delivery. It swung on. A little fly ball down the left field line. Rickard chasing it. He's going to get under it. And he makes the catch in foul territories. He caught the ball after he crossed the line. So they're two down. And the Indians, unable to solve the delivery of Warren Spahn thus far, have had but one hit. That was a double by Larry Doby in the second inning with two outs. The only extra base hit of the World Series thus far. Now here's Allie Clark, right-hand batter. First pitch to him. Up high, ball one. That slow curve responds. Clark struck out in the first inning. Spawn working very fast, taking very little time between pitches. Throws very high, and the count is two balls, no strikes. Two-nothing count on Allie Clark. One-to-nothing favor the Boston Braves. Top half of the third inning. Spawn taking a little time now. Now he's ready. Here's his pitch. Allie Clark swings and sends a grounder deep to third. There's Elliott going to his left up with it. Throws over to Torgson in time, and Clark is out. 
Ollie Clark hit a slow bound into the hole between third and short, but Elliott had time to drift to his left, grab it, and fire to first to retire Clark. No runs for Cleveland, no hits, no brave errors, nobody left on for the Indians. And at the end of two and a half innings of play, the score, Braves won, Cleveland nothing. If you were listening when Johnny Pesky of the Boston Red Sox was on the air a while ago, you heard him say that the new Gillette dispenser is the greatest shaving convenience ever. Yes, fans, it's the handiest thing you can imagine, for it deals out unwrapped Gillette Blue Blades Presto and makes blade changing a cinch with any Gillette razor. You save time, save fuss, and save patience as well. What's more, the shaving edges are perfectly protected at all times. They don't even touch the dispenser when blades are being ejected. Enjoy extra shaving convenience. Buy Gillette Blue Blades and the new Gillette dispenser. You pay nothing extra, just 98 cents the regular price of 20 blades. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Coming into the last half of the third inning, it's Alvin Dark leading off for the Boston Braves, right-hand hitter. Dark was safe in an error by Joe Gordon in the first inning. That uh, opened the gates to the Braves' lone run. Here's a pitch, and it's outside from Bob Lemon for ball one. Then error on Dark's bounder was followed by successive base hits on the uh, on the part of Torgerson and Elliott to produce the run. A pickoff play prevented another run from being scored. Dark looks at a fastball over for a call strike, one and one. Outfield playing Dark toward left. Ken Keltner laying halfway back at third and about six, seven feet off the line. Lou Budrow shading second, more than third, and in two or three steps. Joe Gordon over close to second in a step. Eddie Robinson, the first baseman, about 10, 15 feet off the first baseline. Here's a sidearm curveball that's inside for ball two. We had to wait for Bill Summers to call it because Al Dark looked like he had a notion of laying that ball down the third baseline and beating it out. So we had to wait for Bill Summers to decide uh, whether or not he went through with that notion or held up. Summer says he held up, and the count is two and one. Now the pitch, sidearm fastball is swung on, lined over Bedrow's head into left center field for a base hit. Mitchell races over to cut it off. Dark rounds first, puts on the brakes, and goes back to first base as Mitchell played that ball beautifully to keep it from going through for extra bases. Dovey was over there to help him, but Dark is on with a line single to left field as he lined that ball directly over Lou Boudreaux's head. Now that's the fourth hit for the Boston Braves off Bob Lemon and brings to the plate Earl Torgerson, who singled to right in the first inning. Left-hand batter, Lemon with a stretch, Texas runner. Here's your pitch, and it's outside, ball one. Jimmy Hegan, after catching that ball, took a fast hop to the left of the plate, and that arm cocked, ready to throw. Activity in the Indians' bullpen we cannot identify the hurler since it's in behind the wall out there. We can just barely see an arm throwing. Now, Bob Lemon ready, throws a pitch that's inside, and the count is 2 nothing on Torgerson. <coughs> this is a very tough ballpark in which to hit home runs due to the wind constantly blowing off the river just in back of the fences. Makes those, those high drives fade. We're talking to Johnny Mize about that yesterday. There's a throw over to first base, not in time. Mize said, brother, I know. He said, I played in that ballpark. That's one of the toughest ones I know of to hit home runs in. 
Two balls, no strikes. Earl Torgerson, the batter. Al Dark on first base. Another throw over to first base. Not in time. Lemon trying to keep the runner close. Dark is speed merchant. The stretch by Lemon. Texas run another throw over to first base. Evidently the, and of course not in time, evidently the engines suspect the hit and run. With a count 2-0 on the batter, it's a perfect time for it. Inasmuch as that's a favorite pitch for batters to swing on, since the pitcher being behind has got to come in with something over the plate or be really behind. All right, there goes the front of the pitcher swung on it. Foul off coming right back here. Might catch it, Jim. Almost. We almost had to pause, not for station identification or anything, but pause to catch a baseball here. We won't give Jim an error on that one because he had to go to his right to try and get it. Two balls, one strike. Earl Torgus in the batter. Bob Lemon looks in to get his sign. Kenny Keller in on the grass at third. Lemon sets. Throws the pitch is swung on, hit up into the air, out into short right center. Gordon going out, Doby coming in, and Clark. Clark says he has it, makes the catch, and Al Dark, who was almost halfway to second, goes back to first. That was the type of ball that could have caused trouble. It was hit in that Texas League part of the outfield in right center. You had Larry Doby coming over from center, Allie Clark from right, Joe Gordon going out, and three men hollering as, and uh, trying to make up their minds as to which one should get it. And finally, Clark called for it, he took it. So there's one down, and the batter now, Bob Elliott, right-hand hitter, who's single to right in the first inning. Lemon with a stretch, checks dark, leading off first. Robinson holding the bag against him. Here's the pitch, and it's accidentally swung on and foul down the first baseline. The ball bouncing off the shins of Freddie Fitzsimmons, who's coaching at first base for the Braves. That reminds me of a time when Freddie was pitching in a World Series game, and the ball was hit right back to the box and hit his knee. He was pitching for the Brooklyn Dodgers against the New York Yankees in the World Series back in 1941. He was pitching a great ball game, too, for a guy who, in a sense, was past his prime. Bob Lemon all set to work again on Bob Elliott. Dark moves off first. Here's your delivery. And it's a curveball. It stays high and outside, and count is even up now at one and one. One ball, one strike, one out. Last half of the third inning, the Boston Braves won, the Cleveland Indians nothing. Second game of the World Series. The scene shifts tomorrow to Municipal Stadium on the shorefront of Lake Erie in Cleveland. Here's your pitch. Elliott swings and he misses. There's a throw down to first base and the tag, but not in time. Dark with a headlong slide gets back in. And as a sidelight, Hegan's throw was almost into right field. That ball kept rising. One ball, two strikes to count. Bob Elliott out of the batter's box now. Moves back in hitting position. Outfield around toward left. Kenny Keltner is backed up at third. About five, six feet off the line. Not looking for Elliott to hit anything right down the line. Boudreau in halfway at second. At short, over near second. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed by Bob Elliott for strike three. Is that curveball? Had him rippling. And missing. So it's strikeout for Bob Lemon. Two down. And the batter coming up now is Marv Rickert. Rickert struck out in the first. And Bobby Lemon seems to be settling down just a little bit. We don't know whether or not he had a case of jitters as the game started. After all, it's his first start. There's a throw to first base. Not in time. First start in the World Series. You can't blame him. There's another throw to first base. Not in time. He's really trying to keep that dark close. 
After all, it's the goal, the dream of every ball player, and the pressure's really hot and heavy all the way. But now he's used to it. He's ready to pitch now to the left-hand hitter, Rickert. The pitch swung on a little roller, hit out toward the mound. Lemon takes it, throws over to Robinson in time for the out, and Rickert is out. Lemon to Robinson. I like the way that Lemon feels his position. He's like a cat. I guess he's perhaps the best uh, fielding pitcher we've seen in the World Series. This is an offhand thought since uh, Harry the Cat for Keen. No runs for the Boston Braves in the last half of the third inning. One hit. No errors for Cleveland. One man left on for Boston. And at the end of three innings of play, the Braves lead Cleveland by a score of one to nothing. With your three inning totals, the Braves one run, four hits, no errors. Cleveland, no runs, one hit, one error. The one run for Boston for you late tuners in came in the first inning when with one away, Alvin Dark's bounder was fumbled by Joe Gordon for an error. And then there were successive singles following by Earl Torgerson and Bob Elliott. So that's the situation as we get ready to move now into the top half of the fourth inning. And it's going to be the brilliant shortstop and manager of the Cleveland Indians, Lou Boudreaux, who will be leading off. I, for one, and baseball observers, whom I've had the pleasure of talking to in the last few days, in addition, we'll never forget one of the most sensational performances anybody has ever seen in the clutch and Lou Boudreau in that playoff game at Fenway Park on Monday. Warren Spahn throws. Lou takes outside. Ball one. He went four for four. He sparked his club to win that pennant in that playoff. It was a tremendous individual performance. Now Warren Spahn's delivery to Lou. Swung on. There's a drive out of the right field. It's in there for a base hit. Being there for extra bases. There is Lou rounding first, digging for second. The ball being chased out of there by Tommy Holmes. Boudreaux goes into second, standing up for the double as the throw comes into Eddie Stanky. And that's the second extra base hit in the World Series. Larry Doby got the first one in the second inning, a double to left center. And now Lou Boudreaux doubles into the right field corner as he hit a line drive down the right field line with the outfield pulled around toward left. And that brings to the plate Joe Gordon. There's activity now in the Boston Braves bullpen. It's Red Barrett, a right-hander, warming up. And that, for the Indians, makes hit number two in the ballgame. Now Joe Gordon, who grounded short in the second inning, is up the outfield toward left. Warren Spahn throws. Gordon swings and lines one down the left field line. And Rickard going for it. Can't get in the ball. Goes foul at the last second. Foul by about three feet. Joe Gordon hit a tremendous line drive down the left field line by Marv Rickard, who was going at top speed toward the line. The ball soared by him. But when it hit the ground, it was fouled by three feet up against the left field fence. It is 337 feet, incidentally, from home plate down the left field line into the corner and 319 feet from home plate down the right field line into the corner. Joe Gordon really teed off on that one. Fouled just by about three feet. All right, we're ready now. One strike on Gordon. Warren Spahn ready. Checks the runner. Here's the pitch. Gordon swings and lines one out to left center field, and it's in there for the base hit. Boudreaux rounds third on his way to the plate. Here's Rickard's throw. It may be close. No, Boudreaux scores, and going down to second on the throw to the plate is Joe Gordon. And it's a tie ball game, 1-1. Joe Gordon lined a single to left center. Marv Rickard fired to the plate. But Lou Boudreaux outlegged the throw, and Gordon went to second on the throw to the plate. And 
And that brings up Kenny Keltner, right-hand hitter. Warren's part of the stretch. Checks Gordon leading off second. Here's your pitch, and it's outside. Ball one. Joe Gordon, as we check uh, quickly here, is the first batter in the World Series to get two hits. Spawn all set. Pitches. Kenny Keltner takes fastball over the outside corner for a call strike. One and one. Larry Doby also has had two hits to keep our record straight. Now the pitch. Kenny Keltner takes strike call over that outside corner again. Fastball. Kenny comes out of the batter's box, reaches down, get a little dirt. Perhaps has a word or two to say to Bill Summers. One ball, two strikes. Score tied one and one. Top half of the fourth inning. Lou Boudreau opened with a double to right field. Gordon singled to left center to score Lou and took second on the throw to the plate. Warren Sparn delivers now to Keltner, who swings and hits a fly ball down the left field line, going foul. Rickard racing over, getting under it, and makes the catch for the out. Gordon holds up at second base. He saw that the ball was going to be foul and went back to second to be in position to tag up, but then when he saw that Rickard was catching the ball fairly close toward third base, he decided just to hold at second. So Keltner hits a long foul fly to Marv Rickard for the first out in the inning, and up to the plate now steps Larry Doby, who doubled the left center in the second inning. Warren Spahn takes his stretch. Joe Gordon moves off second. A look back by the left-hander. Here's the delivery. Doby takes a fastball low. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. Doby guarding that plate. Gordon moves off second. Warren Spahn looks back. Now he pitches. Doby takes strike call. Half speed ball. Got the outside corner. Outfield playing Doby straight away. Bob Elliott's in fairly close at third because Doby, being fleet-footed, frequently lays him down and beats him out. First baseman Earl Torgerson guarding that first baseline. Eddie Stanky is shading second more than first, however. Al Dark in halfway at short over near second, trying to keep Gordon close. Here's your pitch. Doby takes high inside now for ball two. Two and one. It's a one-one ball game, top half of the fourth inning. Yesterday's ball game was uh, completed in very rapid time. This one moving at a much slower pace. Here's your delivery. Doby looks at one outside for ball three. Three and one. And Spahn is beginning to lose some of his effectiveness that he displayed in the earlier innings. Red Barrett still throwing the bullpen for Boston. Now Spahn checks with Salkel, ready. Has the stretch. Joe Gordon leads away from second base again. Here's your pitch. Doby swings and hits one in the hole between first and second on the ground to right field for a base hit. Gordon rounds third, digs for the plate. Tommy Holmes up the ball, throws it in. It's cut off by Torgs, and he throws to second. Sliding in is Doby safely. And the Cleveland Indians move out in front two to one as Doby hit one on the ground in between first and second into right field, scoring Joe Gordon from second base. Doby never broke stride. He rounded first, and he saw Holmes throwing to the plate. He kept going to second. Torgerson cut the throw off. 
when he saw that he would not get Gordon at the plate and fired to Dark at second, but Doby Speed had him in there with a slide ahead of the tag by Dark. So Doby drives in a run, moves to second on the throw to the plate, and now here is Eddie Robinson who swings and sends a drive down the left field line. Rickard going deep under it, makes a running catch for the out, and Doby, who was halfway to third, has to go back to second. Ed Robinson got hold of an outside pitch and drove it high and deep down the left field line, but Marv Rickard, who was able to uh, get going, the ball was hit high enough for him to get under it and make the catch. Now there are two down, and Jim Hegan coming up. And Billy Southworth's strategy is to have Mr. Hegan put on. So they're going to walk him purposely. Jim Hegan is to receive an intentional pass. With two runs in, the Indians leading the Braves 2-1. to one. And with the long ball potential and the base hit potential of Jim Hegan, a right-hand hitter, they decide to put him on with first base open and two down, and... Pitch to the left-handed hitting Bob Lemon. So Hegan gets the fourth wide one. He trots on down to first base. Larry Doby's on second. And here's Bobby Lemon stepping in. Fly to left field in the third inning. He's a good hitter for a pitcher. Doby on second. Hegan on first. Two down, two in. Top of the fourth. Two one. Cleveland the pitch. There's its pitch swung on. Little roller hit to the mound. Grabbed by Spawn. He throws over to Torgerson in time for the out. And that's the end of the threat. And the rally for the Cleveland Indians in the top of the fourth inning, which saw them score two runs, three hits, no brave errors, and two men left on for Cleveland. And the score, at the end of three and one-half innings of play, Cleveland two, Boston one. Thumbing through a 1912 magazine recently, I came across an ad announcing the ultimate in motor cars. Nothing finer would ever be built. I repeat, it was a 1912 model, and you wouldn't drive it today on a bet. Some of you men still are shaving with a 1912 model Gillette razor. Originally, it was the finest razor money could buy, and if it has never been dropped and knocked out of alignment, it's still a good razor. But today's Gillette Super Speed Razor is as far superior as today's motor car. Hook on a blade from a Gillette dispenser, twist, and you're all set for the sweetest shave of your life. See the modern Gillette Super Speed Razor, and you'll buy it. Complete with a 10-blade Gillette dispenser, it's a regular $1.50 value for only a dollar. And now we're ready for the last half of the fourth inning. Braves field with the Cleveland Indians leading the Boston Braves 2-1 to one as they broke out in the top of the fourth inning with a brief display of their vaunted power. However, Warren Spahn was equal to the task, and along with the uh, strategy of manager Billy Southworth, they got out of the inning without any further damage and lost their one-run lead, but are trailing by but one. And so, in the last half of the fourth inning now, the Boston Braves come to bat with Bill Salcal leading off. He'll be followed by Mike McCormick and then Eddie Stanky. Bobby Lemon, who was off to a comparative uh, shaky start, has seemed to settle down, has gotten accustomed to the World Series feeling and tension. Into the windup, pitches to Salcal, who takes a fastball eye-high. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. You may be sure that should the score remain as it is, that there will be those among the Wagsters who will say Lemon squeezed by two to one or something to that effect. But that's part of the ball game. Now the pitch. Fastball is low inside. Ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Two to one ball game. Favor the Indians. Last half of the fourth. And when you say the Indians, you mean the Cleveland club. 
the Braves of Boston. Playing in the Boston Wigwam. Bobby Lemon delivers a pitch that swung on and foul tipped the plate. Two and one the count. Saul Cal really cut at that one. Bobby Lemon has been a busy boy today. He's handled something like five chances thus far. The right-hander delivers. Saul Kell swings and foul tips it for strike two. Foul tip held on to by Jimmy Hegan. Let's see, he tossed out Holmes in the first inning for one. And again the second for two. He caught a pop-up in the second for three. And he had a chance in third for four. Had four, uh, four fielding opportunities. Two balls, two strikes to count on Bill Salkel. The outfield playing him straight away. In comes the pitch, and it's a little high. Ball three, three and two. To uh, complete the fifth one, as we told you, the pickoff uh, play at second base, Lemon de Boudreaux gave him an assist. All right, the payoff pitch on its way. Salkel takes high. Ball four. So Bill Salkel continues to exert some sort of strange uh, spell against Cleveland pitchers. It was Salkel, you recall, who got the walk in the eighth inning yesterday, leading off. That paved the way for the lone run of the ball game and the Braves' victory. He singled to right in the second inning. First time up today, and now he's just walked. That brings to the plate Mike McCormick, right-hand batter, who swings and sends a bounder into the hole between third and short out the left field for the base hit. Dale Mitchell grabs the ball in a big hop, throws in toward third, holding second is Saul Keld, and the Braves have something threatening here in the last of the fourth. Mike McCormick, who had uh, popped out to Bob Lemon in a bunt attempt in the second inning, hits the first pitch, smashing one on the ground, a high bouncer to the left and over the head of Kenny Keltner sending Saul Kell to second. That brings up Eddie Stanky. Now the Indians are looking for the bunt. Eddie Robinson way on the grass at first. Keller hoping to anchor at third, but he's in on the grass. The pitch, Stanky takes it, and it's in there for a call strike. There's activity in the meantime in the Indians' bullpen. It would appear to be Ed Kleiman throwing. Difficult for us to see. It's in behind the fence, beyond the outfield reaches. Lou Boudreaux. Just in behind Salkel, trying to hold him close. Eddie Robinson moving way in on the grass. Here's the pitch. Stanky takes, and the pitch is outside for a ball, one and one. Jimmy Hegan cocked his arms if he's going to throw somewhere, but had nowhere to throw. And so you have one of those exciting moments when a batter, to all intents and purposes, is up there to bunt. The first baseman charging the plate. The third baseman not charging because there's a runner on second, hoping to be able to anchor at third for the fourth play there. And yet... Realizing that he may have to go in in case the bunt is shoved down his way. The pitch is bunted down toward first. There is Robinson up for the ball. Must play it to first base to Joe Gordon for the out. A perfect sacrifice. Eddie Stanky bunts one down the first baseline. Eddie Robinson fields it. Had only one play to Joe Gordon, who covered first. And that moved Saul Cal to third and Mike McCormick to second. So the Boston Braves have runners now on second and third, two men in scoring position, with Warren Spahn coming to bat. 
Baum grounded out to Joe Gordon in the second inning. Sam Zoldak, a left-hander, starting to throw in the bullpen for Cleveland. Now the outfield about straight away for the left-hand batter. Bob Lemon throws. Spawn ducks a high inside pitch for ball one. The Cleveland infield is laying in for a possible play at the plate. And there's Lou Budrow motioning out to Dale Mitchell in the left field to come in a little closer. Hoping to uh, keep that man on second from scoring in the event of a base hit out that way. That's Mike McCormick. Salkel is on third. Here's your pitch. Spawn swings and hits one back to the box. And it's taken by Lemon. Throws over to Robinson and the runners hold. And again, Bob Lemon comes to the fore as he induces Warren Spawn to hit back to the box. Bill Salkel broke toward the plate. Took about two steps with a crack of the bat. But when he saw Lemon with that ball in his glove, he darted back to third. Lemon, when he caught the ball, looked around to see if he had a play on the man at third or the man at second. Saw that he didn't. And then threw over to Robinson at first to retire Spawn for the second out. Thus the runners hold at second and third. And now the batter is Tommy Holmes, who twice has bounced out to Lemon. A left-hand batter, the pitch. In there for a call strike. And you've got a great moment in this ball game right here. With the Cleveland Indians leading 2-1. to one, And the Boston Braves with runners on second and third and one out. Unable to move them as Warren Spawn bounces out to Bobby Lemon. The sixth fielding opportunity he's had in this ball game and we'll check the record books in a little while to see if that approximates a World Series record or surpasses one. The right-hander throws and Holmes takes outside for a ball and the count now is one and one and the fans seated uh, here at Braves Field are not hollering too much at the moment. They're ready to explode but nevertheless inside them their hearts are pounding, pulses are racing it's indeed a great moment because the Indians are out in front two to one a base hit will put the Braves in uh, front by a score of three to two so here's the pitch. Tommy Holmes takes inside. And the count now is 2-1 to one as Bobby Lemon bearing down out there trying to get Tommy Holmes out. Indians aware of what Tommy Holmes did yesterday in the eighth inning as he drove in the winning run in the eighth inning with two down. And you've got Dale Mitchell laying a little closer to that left field line today for Tommy Holmes than he was yesterday. Matter of fact, Larry Doby's a step or two over toward left center. Allie Clark playing right field is a step or two over toward right center. They're not playing Tommy to pull too sharply. You've got Bill Salkel on third. Mike McCormick on second, two down. Bob Lemon throws the pitch high, ball three. Three and one, and they're being extra careful with Tommy Holmes. You got the right-handed hitting Alvin Dark on deck. There were two men on in the second inning when Tommy Holmes came up with two outs. He bounced out to Lemon. Now let's see what he does on this 3-1 pitch. Bob into the windup throws. Holmes swings and hits a fly ball down the left field line. Dale Mitchell goes over. He's getting under it, and he makes the catch for the out. And so the Braves threaten but fail to score in the last half of the fourth inning. No runs, one hit, no Cleveland errors, and two men left on for Boston. The score at the end of four innings of play, Cleveland two, the Braves one with your totals. Cleveland two runs, four hits, one error. The Boston Braves, one run, five hits, no errors. Going into the top half of the fifth inning, Cleveland leading Boston by a score of two to one. And as the Indians come to bat, they come up with the top of the order. Dale Mitchell, Allie Clark, and Lou Boudreaux. Dale Mitchell fouled out to third and flied to left. Left-hand batter. Outfield playing him toward left. Big, a big hole in the outfield is in right center, actually. 
Left-hander warns Bond throws. Mitchell looks at a hook that's over for a call strike. Marv Rickard in left. Mike McCormick in center. Here's your pitch. Mitchell swings and lines one over the head of Al Dark out in the left center. It's in there for a base hit. Taken on the hop out there by Marv Rickard. Fires his throw in the dark and moves over to cover second. Holding first. After taking his turn is Dale Mitchell with his first World Series hit. Dale Mitchell leading off. Lines a single to left. And that brings up Allie Clark who struck out and grounded to third. Bats him right-handed. Outfield moves around toward left now. They play him to pull. Warren Spawn with the stretch. Texas runner. Here's the pitch. Allie Clark shortens up. Does not bunt, however. Takes an outside fastball. And the count is 1-0. and He bluffed a bunt. Spawn chewing on gum. Rather viciously. Now ready. There's a throw to first base, but not in time. Mitchell gets back. Spawn's got a pretty good motion to first base. As uh, has... Most left-handers. Spawn again ready with the stretch. Mitchell with the short lead off first base. Here's the pitch into the plate. Clark takes inside and had to do a little rope skipping to avoid being hit by that ball. It swept way in on him. As again, he slid his hands up on the bat in bunting position. But, of course, did not bunt. And the count now is two balls, no strikes. Time call for a moment. Eddie Stanky decides to move in from second base and talk to Warren Spawn. Little Eddie, who's a spark plug, says something to Spawn and now trots back out to his second base position. Red Barrett is throwing the bullpen out there for the Boston Braves. Now we're ready to resume play. Clark with that back cock. A stretch by Spawn. There's a throw to first base. Not in time. Earl Torgerson takes the ball, returns it now to Spawn. Mitchell watching the pitcher very closely. Score 2-1, to one, favorite Cleveland, top of the fifth inning. Mitchell on first base, nobody down. There's another throw to first base. Not in time. There have been quite a number of attempts in this series thus far to pick runners off. Again, Spawn is set. Here's the pitch. Clark bunts down the first baseline. Torrance and up for the ball. Plays it to Stanky, covering first for the out. A perfect sacrifice, moving Mitchell down the second. Clark sacrifices and is out. Torgerson to Stanky, who covered first. That brings to the plate. Lou Boudreaux. Lou grounded to third and then double to right. Double to right in the fourth inning to spark the Indians to their two runs and their 2-1 lead. Warren Spahn throws to Lou, who takes a fastball high, ball one. Boudreaux's double, followed by Gordon's single, and then a single by Doby. Gave the Indians their two in the fourth after the Braves had picked up one of the first things to lead, one nothing to that point. All right, Spawn sets, looks back at second. Here's your pitch. Boudreaux swings and lifts a high foul pop-up back of first base. Torgerson going for it. He can't get it. The ball is out of play. Going into the lower stands in behind the Cleveland dugout. And, of course, there's the usual scramble for a World Series souvenir. One ball, one strike, one out. Top half of the fifth inning, second game of the World Series. The Braves won the first one, as you know, one to nothing yesterday. As uh, Johnny Sane's four-hitter beat Bob Feller's two-hitter. Warren Spawn ready. Throws. Lou Boudreaux takes. Slow curve that's high. Ball two. Two balls, one strike. This still, of course, is anybody's ball game. Long way to go yet. Jimmy Britt's getting all oiled up to tell you what's going to happen the rest of the way in a little while. 
Warren Spahn delivers. Lou Boudreau takes outside. Fastball, ball three. Spahn trying to get the corners on Lou, one of the great hitters of the year. Hit 355. Runner up to Ted Williams for the American League batting crown. Now Spahn set for the 3-1 pitch. Takes his stretch. Checks his runner. Mitchell leading off second. A look back. A look into the plate. Here's the pitch. Boudreaux swings and hits it right back through the middle out over second in the center for the base hit. Mitchell cuts third on his way in to score. As the ball is fielded by Mike McCormick, throws into second. Boudreaux holds it first with a clutch single right back through the middle. The ball went right through the legs of Warren Spahn. It was well tagged. Spahn tried to close his legs on it with his glove, too, trying to keep that ball from getting through, but couldn't. And time's been called as Billy Southworth emerges from the Boston Braves dugout to go out to the mound to talk to Warren. So Lou Boudreaux singles to center to drive in Dale Mitchell, and the Indians lead 3-1. to one. Generally, when Billy Southworth takes that walk out of the dugout to the mound, he wants a new pitcher. And that's what he's going to do now. Generally, when Billy runs out to the mound, he just wants to talk to the pitcher. But when he walks out slowly, that means he's going to bring in a new one. So we're going to have a new pitcher. And Warren Spahn, who wanted so badly to win this game, not only for the Boston Braves, but for his six-day-old youngster, unable to go the distance today, and thus he leaves the ball game after having worked. Let's listen to the round of applause for Warren Spahn. After having worked four and one-third innings, and after having given up six hits, and so far three runs, he being responsible for Lou Boudreau should Lou score, Warren Spahn leaves the hill and will be succeeded by Red Barrett. Red Barrett, the right-hander, who won seven and lost eight this year for the Boston Braves. Red's coming on to see if he can put out the Indians' little uh, fire that they've started in the Braves' wigwam. Barrett, a right-hander. Call him Red. The simple reason he's redheaded. So he's taking his warm-up pitches, and the first man he'll have to face will be Joe Gordon. It's a three-to-one ball game in favor of Cleveland. Charlie Red Barrett. He was quite a uh, likable uh, fellow, quite an entertainer off the field. He's the team's crooner. Came close to uh, pitching a no-hitter a couple of years ago against the Philadelphia Phils back in 1946. Del Ennis got the only hit off of him in the eighth inning, and no other batsman reached base on him. He's had his great moments, and there have been times when he hasn't had it. And so we're ready to continue action now as Red Barrett, chunky right-hander, is all set to pitch to Joe Gordon. The stretch, the pitch. There goes Lou. The hit and run is on. Gordon hits a grounder to Torgerson, who grabs it, steps on first. No chance to try for the double play, and Gordon is out. On the very first pitch, Lou Boudreau put on the hit and run. Joe Gordon had to swing at a bad pitch. It was low outside, and all he did was sort of half throw his bat at the ball because Boudreau was running. 
And Gordon is out Torgerson unassisted. Joe had grounded it short and singled the left previously. So there are two down now, and the batter, Kenny Keltner. That puts Lou Boudreau in scoring position. Barrett delivers. Keltner takes fastball over for a call strike. And now Bill Voisel from 96 South Carolina is out in the bullpen warming up for Boston. Keltner flied to left and fouled out to left in his two previous appearances today. It's a 3-1 ball game, favor of Cleveland, top of the fifth inning, two down. Barrett throws. Keltner swings and sends a ground ball to third. There is Elliott up for the ball, throws on over to Torgerson. Keltner is out, and Red Barrett came in and really put out the fire. For Cleveland in the fifth inning, one run, two hits, no Braves errors, one man left on for Cleveland. And at the end of four and a half innings, the score, Cleveland three, the Braves one. To safeguard you against harmful facial bacteria, Gillette Shaving Cream, both lather and brushless, now contains K34, the remarkable new facial antiseptic. Developed after years of research, K34 is the only safe skin germicide known that remains fully effective when combined with shaving soap or cream. Regular use of Gillette Shaving Cream containing K34 destroys from 85 to 99 percent of the bacteria on your face and checks the growth of germs thereafter. Thus, when you shave with Gillette Brushless or Gillette Lather, your face is the cleanest a man can have. By that, we mean it's surgically clean, far cleaner than scrubbing with ordinary soap and water could make it. Odorless, colorless, and non-irritating, K34 is exclusive with Gillette. So for extra shaving comfort plus the cleanest face ever, use Gillette Shaving Cream, lather or brushless with K34 a quarter. And now, ladies and gentlemen, going into the last half of the fifth inning, it's with a great deal of pleasure I present to you my colleague on this World Series broadcast, a man who broadcast American and National League games throughout the year and through many years, Jim Britt. Thank you, Mel. Good afternoon, everyone, again. Al Dark is the batter. He reached once on an error and scored the unearned Boston run, and then in the third inning, he singled to left. Lemon delivers, and the first pitch is fouled over toward the Cleveland dugout for strike one. The Cleveland Indians were blanked for 12 full innings by Sane and Spawn, but when finally they broke through the veil, they came up with two runs in the fourth inning to take a two-to-one lead, and then they added another tally in the fifth. And the Boston Braves run is an unearned run that was set up by Joe Gordon's error. Dark stands with his feet wide apart. He's reached base both times against Bob Lemon this afternoon. Bob winds up. He delivers. Foul ball on a line back into the screen, and the count is strike two. Yesterday, the folks of Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is Dark's hometown, presented him with an engraved scroll and a silver service. And today, he acknowledged his appreciation by scoring the first run and then banging out his first hit of the series. He has one out of six, and his season's average was 322. The outfield is just a step to the left. The wind is still blowing in today from right field, which makes it tough on the left-handers. The wind-up by Lemon, the pitch... Foul tip just out of the reach of Jim Hegan. Two strikes the count. Hegan is a catcher built along the general physical lines of Bill Dickey. He's very competent, has a fine throwing arm, and he commands respect when you just watch him in action. Two strikes the count. Billy Southworth coaching at third base. Freddie Fitzsimmons, the former Brooklyn pitcher, coaching at first. Lemon delivers, 
And there's a foul ball that drifts out of play. The count is two strikes. A little earlier, you wouldn't have given a nickel for the chances that this ball game would go the limit because of the mist and the rain that fell preceding it. It's another sellout crowd, and there's a good prospect that this year's World Series shares will hit an all-time baseball high. No one out in the fifth inning. No one on. The Braves trailing by a score of one to three. Lemon gets set again. Here it is. And it's strike three swinging as he sidearms a curveball. That's Lemon's third strikeout. He has had six chances so far, including several assists, and he has also struck out three. That means he's figured in nine of the 13 outs so far. Earl Torgerson has one hit and two trips. It gives him one out of four officially. And after reaching second, you'll recall he was picked off in the very first inning. He's a left-handed batter. He was set to bunt, but it's a call strike. Lou Boudreau hollered, look out, and Ken Keltner rushed toward the plate to defend against it. It's another good ball game. Not as tight a pitcher's duel as yesterday's 1-0 victory, Sane over Feller. Cleveland leading 3-1. Lemon pitches, and there's a foul bunt. Torgerson tried to drag a bunt down the first baseline, succeeded only in tipping it back against the screen, and the count is two strikes. That Cleveland pickoff play, by the way, Feller to Boudreaux, Lemon to Boudreaux, whomever the pitcher happens to be, is one of the most scientific and brilliantly executed any of us have ever seen. Yesterday it failed by a whisker. Today it worked, and it cost the Boston Braves a run as it developed. Lemon throws, and there's a ground ball that bounces to Robinson. Lemon is covering, and he takes it, and there is another put out for the young man. The play went 3-1. to one. First baseman to the pitcher, and two men have been retired in the fifth inning. The last four men have gone down in order against Bob Lemon, and he still is nursing very carefully that 3-1 to one lead. Bob Elliott will be the batter. Bob has one hit and two trips. He drove in the first and only Boston run of the game. When with Dark on third and Torgerson on first base, he singled to left in the first inning. He was the most valuable player of the National League a season ago. He's a right-hander. The pitch, ball a little high. One ball, no strikes. Bill Summers calls the balls and strikes very emphatically. And... That's a great aid to broadcasting and reporting as well. The outfield is set to the left. Third baseman Ken Keltner, out of respect to Elliott's full power, is backed up, back at third base. Lemon winds up, fires one, a little high, two and nothing. Two balls, no strikes. Yesterday, Cleveland left six base runners. The Braves left only four. So far today, the Braves have left six, and Cleveland has left only five stranded. Two and nothing the count on Elliott. The pitch, strike called, a lemon fastball. He's been throwing a fastball when he needs it. Johnny Sane, on the other hand, uses his fastball as a waste pitch. The curveball is his stock in trade. Warren Spahn started today was derricked in the fifth inning in favor of Red Barrett. And all three Cleveland runs were charged to lefty. Two and one. Elliott stepped out of the batter's box. He may have checked the count with umpire Bill Summers. The shadows are just beginning to wedge their way out toward the pitcher's mound. Here comes the pitch, and there's a high foul ball back of the plate. Jim Hegan is coming over after it, should get it, and he takes it to retire the side. A foul ball back of the plate as Lemon, for the first time in the game, 
retires the Boston Braves in one, two, three order. That is their first hitless inning. They collected two hits in the first, one in the second, one each in the third and fourth. So the Boston Braves have just one run, five hits, as against three runs, six hits for the Cleveland Indians. And now the game moves into the first half of the sixth inning with Larry Doby, Eddie Robinson, and Jim Hegan scheduled to come up. Doby has a perfect day. He doubles to left center, single to right, and has a total of three hits and six trips for a series batting mark of 500. And he looks every inch a baseball player. He's had a good season. We've just been checking and find that the record book credit Lon Warnicke with eight assists in a World Series game in 1935, Nick Altrock with eight in 1906. But the combination of outs, putouts, and assists will require further checking, and the heads of the two league service bureaus are cooperating very well so that we will have the information shortly. So far, however, Bob Lemon has figured in seven different plays. That's a combination of putouts and assists. The first base bag is going to be replaced. There's a strong wind blowing out here at Braves Field, and if there are any extraneous sounds coming over the microphone other than my voice and Mel's and the roar of the crowd, the wind explains it. At the moment, the game is being delayed, and Red Barrett will get an opportunity to throw five or six extra pitches by way of warm-up because the first base bag came loose. Bill Summers and Bill Stewart called attention to it, and it is being replaced. Cold as the day is, a couple of the Harvard crews are out on the River Charles, sculling their way up and down. It is another sellout crowd. The first base bag will get into place, and that gives me an opportunity to describe the scoring so far in the event you joined our network late. In the first inning, Dark reached on an error by Gordon, Torgerson singled him to third, and Elliott scored him with a single. But in the fourth inning, Boudreaux's double, Gordon single, a throw-in, Doby single, and then a single by Mitchell in the fifth inning, plus a sacrifice, and Boudreaux's single accounted for three Cleveland runs and drove out Warren Spawn. Red Barrett pitched only to Gordon and Keltner in the fifth inning, retiring Gordon unassisted on a play to first base and getting Keltner on an easy roller to third baseman Bob Elliott. Now he faces one of the stars of the game, Larry Doby, the Cleveland center fielder, who has a double to left center and a single to right. He has two hits today. Here's the first pitch to him, and it's a call strike on a left-hander. Larry is playing with a bandage on his left thumb. I noticed that Lou Boudreau and... Allie Clark have also been wearing them. Bill Salkel started to go out to the mound for a conference with Barrett. Barrett came halfway in to meet him. The outfield is set to the left. Bill McKechnie is doing the coaching at third base, and Mel Harder is doing the coaching at first. Fred Clark and Chris Speaker are both here. They posed for photographers before the game got underway. Barrett gets set, delivers, swing on this. He threw a slider that broke down around the ankles, and Doby went for it and missed it by a substantial margin. Two strikes the count. Barrett throws slow stuff. His fastball is no fireball, but he's always up around the plate. He winds up, delivers, and throws one low in the dirt, but Doby stayed away from it, and the count is one ball, two strikes. 
After the game, of course, the special trains and the special flights will head for Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Here's the one and two pitch. Strike three. He fooled him with a ball that dropped down in the dirt. And that is the second Cleveland strikeout. Barrett has retired three men in a row in his relief role. And possibly Cleveland is puzzled for the moment at least by the sudden switch from Spawn's fastball and his wide-breaking curveballs and Barrett's slow stuff. So there's one man out as Cleveland leads 3-1 to one in the first half of the sixth inning. The Indians rallying strongly today to go out in front after having trailed by a run. Robinson has walked and flied to left. He's a left-hander, and he lets a slow floater come inside for ball one. Barrett seems to think that one should have been a strike. It was a fluffy pitch. Not a blooper like Rip Sewell's, low but slow. He delivers, and there's a ground foul down the first baseline. Robinson very nearly got an extra base wallop. It was just two or three feet outside the first base bag, and one of the fans out on the field boxes all but fell out trying to take home a souvenir. One man out in the Cleveland, sixth inning. Barrett, incidentally, is one of the fastest working pitchers in the business. He pitches on the theory that he has to do it sometime. Why not immediately? He winds up, delivers, and there's a slow ball outside. Dalkeld had to get up from his knees to field it, and the count is two and one. Robinson has no hits in four official series trips. He did reach base in the second inning with a base on balls, and in the fourth, he flied to record and left. Here it comes. There's a drive back through the middle for the first hit off Barrett and the seventh Cleveland hit of the game, a single. Mike McCormick held Eddie Robinson to a single, and the Indians have another base runner. They collected one hit in the second. They got three hits and two runs in the fourth, two hits and one run in the fifth inning. And now, with the seventh hit of the ball game, Robinson is on first, and the capable Cleveland catcher, Jim Hegan, is up. He had one out of three yesterday, a season's mark of 248. His first time up today, he flied to center, and the last time he was at bat, he was given an intentional pass. He's a big right-hander. Ball low. Bill Voisel who wears the number 96, the name of his birthplace, 96 South Carolina, a right-hander, is warming up for the Braves. Robinson leads off base. There's the pitch. There's the drive to right field. It chases Holmes back. It's well tagged, and he takes it. And here is Robinson, a base and a half off the bag, and he's doubled out. Holmes to Torgerson. A magnificent running catch by Tony Holmes, found Robinson, 25 feet around second base, and Holmes has thrown to Torgerson. Gave Torgerson a chance to run the last 20 feet to first base for the first double play of the ball game. So it's no run, one hit, no errors, none left, and that is by all odds the standout fielding play of the series. The score is Cleveland 3, Boston Braves 1. Johnny Mize of the New York Giants is sitting at my elbow. Johnny, tell us what you like after a hard game. What most baseball players go for, Jim, a shower and a shave. Well, you use a Gillette Super Speed Razor. I'd like the fans to hear what you told me about it. I said it can't be matched, and it can't. It's the swellest shaving razor I've ever used, and the most convenient, too. You've used Gillette razors before. Oh, yes, for years. But this one is something you write home about. Men, with the modern Gillette Super Speed Razor, you change blades instantly and enjoy the slickest shave a man can have. You get the razor plus a 10-blade Gillette dispenser, a big $1.50 value for only a dollar. Buy one and see what modern shaving satisfaction is like. 
That play of Holmes has them still talking. The wind helped him. Had it not been blowing in so strongly, it would have been well over his head and could conceivably have been a home run over the right field wall, which is an unusual accomplishment for a right-hand batter. The first man up for the Boston Braves will be Marv Rickard in the last half of the sixth inning. He struck out in the first, and then Lemon retired him on a grounder in the third. Yesterday, he had one out of three, so he has one out of five. He's a left-hander. Lemon pitches to him, and there goes a high infield pop-up being called for by second baseman Joe Gordon, but it drifts over toward Boudreaux, and Boudreaux takes it halfway between the mound and second. An easy chance. It started to the right of second base, and when the wind carried it over, Boudreaux decided he could better field it. So now Lemon has retired seven straight men following Mike McCormick's single to left field in the fourth inning. Bill Salkeld has had a perfect afternoon with a single to right in the second inning and a base on balls in the fourth. Lou Boudreau is using sunglasses. That may have been one reason why he thought he could better have fielded the ball. Salkeld is a left-handed batter. Lemon throws it. Outside, ball one. For the past month, Lemon has had his troubles. He got up to 20 victories and was regarded as a sure cinch to win 22 or possibly 23, but he got his comeuppance in about his last four starts. Today, he seems to have regained the form that carried him to his 20 wins, and since the fourth inning, when he wobbled a little, after McCormick's single, he's retired six men in a row with only one ball hit to the outfield. He throws high for ball two, two and nothing. Two balls, no strikes. One man out. No one on base. Mike McCormick, the on-deck batter. Lemon delivers. Low for three and nothing. What Mel Allen said a while back about Bill Salkeld seemingly having the Indian sign on the Indians would seem to be true. He got the base on balls that was translated into yesterday's only run after Macy ran for him. Today he singled to right, and he has walked. In two official series trips, he has one hit. Here's the wind-up and the pitch. Strike call, a fastball, letter high. Three balls, one strike. It's turned into a perfect baseball day. It's a slower game than yesterday's. The wind-up, the pitch, ball four. That's Salkel's second base on balls and the third walk that has been dished out by Bob Lemon. It's the fourth time Salkel has reached base. Mike McCormick comes up. His first time at bat, in an attempt to sacrifice, he popped one that Lemon fielded. And his last time up, he bounced a single between Ken Keltner and Lou Boudreau. A ball that he hit right down into the dirt and went into the hole and left. Mike has one hit in four official series trips. He's a right-hander. And he's played in World Series competition before with Cincinnati. One man out. The pitch. Foul tip. Strike one. Egan dropped it right down in front of him, was quick to pick it up. Several of the Indians are on their feet down in the dugout, and only one or two of the Braves are up on the top step as Bill Voisel continues to bear down. The Cleveland bullpen is hidden by the right center field wall. One strike to count. The pitch. There's a drive that goes to center field, and it's in there for a base hit. Salkel goes to second and holds up as McCormick loops the line drive right out over second base. Toby fielded the ball, and that's Mike's second hit of the series. Eddie Stanky will come up. 
He got a base on balls his first time at bat, and his second time with runners on first and second and none out, he sacrificed as ordered, but he has no hits in two official series trips. Ed Kleiman is given the warm-up sign again. And again, for the second time in as many days, Phil Macy is going into the game to run for Stalkeld. Stalkeld has a bad knee. So Billy Southworth is very anxious that there be no such handicap attached to the second Braves run if it could score. Ed Kleiman and Satchel Page are warming up for Cleveland, the word has come. Stanky is the batter. He has no hits in no official trips. Outside, ball one. Officially, he hasn't been at bat. He walked and sacrificed. There's a pinch hitter getting set to come out of the Boston Braves dugout. In the event, Stanky should get on. Maybe even if he should not. This is the last of the sixth, and Cleveland leads 3-1. to one. Lemon operates from a stretch. Here's the pitch. There's a ground ball, and it goes to Boudreau. The only throw is to second, and it's a double play. Stanky injured ankle, couldn't go down. Boudreau took it in the hole, fired it to Gordon, and then a quick throw just did get Stanky. So that retires the Braves with no runs, one hit, no errors, and only one runner left. And at the end of six innings, Cleveland leads by a score of 3-1 to one as the timely double play comes up. For an instant, it seemed that no double play would be possible, but I lost sight for the moment of the fact that Stanky is very much slower than he was prior to his fractured ankle in July. The new catcher will be Phil Macy, and Red Barrett will continue on the mound with Cleveland leading 3-1 to one at the end of the sixth. Now we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Queen for a Day, usually presented over WOR at 2 o'clock, will be heard today immediately following the World Series baseball game. This is WOR New York. This is Jim Britt back at Braves Field. We're going into the first half of the seventh inning. Cleveland clings to its 3-1 lead. This is the Braves' day, apparently, to fail in the clutch because they've had several good scoring opportunities. There were runners on first and second with only one out in the second inning and nothing came of it. In the fourth inning, there were runners on first and second with none out, runners on second and third with one out, and they failed to score. And they had another good opportunity in that the sixth when with runners on first and second and one out, Stanky grounded into a Boudreau to Gordon to Robinson double play. The record for chances by a pitcher was established by Nick Altrock in 1906, and it is 11. So Bob Lemon is in no immediate prospect of shading that mark unless he should get several more chances in the remaining three frames. Lemon is at bat in the first half of the seventh. He had an earned run average of 2.70 during the season, 10 shutouts. He's hitless in this game in two trips. There's a high fly ball toward right field. Tommy Holmes running under it near the line. And he makes the catch in fair territory, just about 100 feet beyond first base. Lemon flies to right field. So that reduces him to none and three for the afternoon. But his pitching has been more than adequate. As a matter of fact, he hasn't yielded an earned run. He has a lead of 3-1 as Dale Mitchell steps up. Dale has one out of three today. He has one out of seven in the series, and in the fifth inning, he singled to left, was sacrificed, and he scored. He's a left-hander. He waits. Strike called. Third baseman Bob Elliott broke for the plate in the event of a bunt. Because with a speedy left-hander like Mitchell, there's always a prospect of it. 
The outfield is a little to the left. Here's the windup. The pitch. Inside, and that broke by Macy. A new ball is given to him as it rolls to the backstop. The count is one ball, one strike. Bill McKechnie and Mel Harder are doing the coaching for the Indians at third and first. Bill Voisel is still warming up, which would seem to indicate a Braves pinch hitter in the last half of the inning. Here's the pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to the right of second. Stanky goes over fast, whirls, and gets him. Nice play by Eddie. He was fast enough to get over and take a base hit away from Mitchell. It seemed about to go through the hole into right field. So Mitchell now has one hit in four trips and one in eight in the series. Allie Clark is the batter. He had a season's average of 310. He's a right-hander who saw some service last year in the series for the Yankees, and today he has struck out, grounded out, and sacrificed. Barrett pitches. Swing and a miss. That was a fastball. Just between the belt and the knees. Two men are out in the seventh. Cleveland leading 3-1. to one. Here it comes. There's a ground ball. Accidentally hit the shortstop. Dark fumbles it, picks it up, can't make the play, and draws an error. Clark was trying to get his bat out of the way of an inside pitch, and the ball struck him. Struck his bat, so he reaches on an error. That's the third Braves error of the series and the first Braves error of the game. Dark was a little over-anxious, couldn't find the handle on the ball, kicked it around a little, and finally when he did get it from behind his legs, it was too late to risk a throw to first. Nels Potter, the former Philadelphia A's curler, is warming up now. Bill Voisel has ceased his warm-up activity. Potter has pitched great baseball for the Braves in the clutch this season. Barrett looks out at the outfield. He wants Tommy Holmes to move in a little as Lou Boudreau is up. Boudreau has a double and a single in three trips. Strike called. Lou started the two-run rally in the fourth inning, scored the first Cleveland run to tie the score, and then drove in the third Cleveland run. He's having a good day. A throw to first. Clark back safely. One strike to count. The seventh inning of the second World Series game. The pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to Elliott. Elliott boots the ball, and there are runners on first and second. It struck him in the leg. He never did get his glove on it. There are runners on first and second, and it is scored an error. Runners on first and second as the result of successive errors by Dark and by Elliott. Barrett's support is shaking. There are runners on first and second, and Flash Gordon comes up. He got a hit in the fourth inning, and with Dobie, became one of the Indians to collect three hits. Dobie was the first to get three hits in the series. Gordon was the second. Joe has one out of three. Two out of seven for the series. Two men are out. Strike called. One strike to count, two men out. The outfield moves to the left. Barrett is hard to fluster. He wants Tommy Holmes to back up a little in right field, and Tommy obliges a step or two. The pitch, outside, one and one. Barrett likes to position his own outfielders. And Southworth permits him to do it. He's the workhorse of the Braves. One ball, one strike, the pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to Elliott. Elliott elects to make the throw to first base to retire the side. Despite the two errors, there was no score for Cleveland. No runs, no hits, two Boston errors, two runners left, and as we enter the stretch half of the seventh, Cleveland still leads. 
The score is Cleveland 3, Boston 1. As Johnny Mize of the New York Giants put it this afternoon, the Gillette Super Speed Razor is something to write home about. It's the swellest shaving razor and the handiest you ever laid against your face. Men, this razor has a notched positioning bar for use with the Gillette dispenser. Zip out a blade, hook it in place, twist, and you're ready to shave. To clean, simply loosen the razor, rinse, and shake. Here's a precision instrument, beautifully designed and superbly made. There's nothing to take apart or fit together, nothing to jam or clog. No, you don't need a locksmith to make this razor click. Buy a Gillette Super Speed razor. You get it, plus a 10-blade Gillette dispenser, a regular $1.50 value, for only a dollar. Yes, and you get shaves that are shaves. Smooth, good-looking shaves that feel great. So far in seven innings, Cleveland has a total of three runs, seven hits. The Braves have made two errors. The Indians have made only one, and the Indians have left seven men on. Buck McCormick is going to be the leadoff batter in the seventh inning. He will be batting for Red Barrett. The attendance, the official attendance, has just been given at 39,633, which makes it slightly over 80,000 for the two games here at Braves Field. Buck McCormick, formerly of the Cincinnati Reds, will lead off for Red Barrett. His batting average during the season was 249, and he played first base against left-handed opposition. The pitch, ball one, low outside. Buck is one of the more popular members of the Braves squad. He started his baseball in New York City catching on one side of the street. Slants that were tossed to him by a pitcher who stood on the other side. One ball account. Lemon winds up, delivers, swing and a miss, fastball. One and one the count. Buck started out as a catcher, then decided it would be a little safer to get out there at first base. At this time yesterday, the game had just ended. It was an hour and 42-minute contest. This one today is in the last half of the seventh inning with Cleveland leading by a score of 3-1. to one. And where yesterday's game produced a total of six hits, we have seen 13 in this one. McCormick is back in the batter's box. He stands with his feet close together, a closed stance. Lemon winds up. He fires one, and there's another swing and a miss on a fastball in on the fifth. One and two. That one broke low, and it was pitched tight. One ball, two strikes. Nels Potter is doing some warming up for the Braves out on the bullpen. The outfield is set to the left. Lemon delivers. Strike three, swinging. He threw a sidearm curveball. That's the fourth Braves strikeout. Leadoff batter Tommy Holmes, who has been handcuffed today, in contrast to his game-winning hit of yesterday, will be the second batter. He's applauded, probably because the fans remember that clutch catch he made of Hegan's line drive in right field and turned it into a double play that caught Robinson far off the bag. One out. Tommy has none in three. Fastball outside. Ball one. Holmes is one of the more difficult players to strike out in baseball. A couple of times he has been the lowest strikeout victim in the National League season. They play him to the left. There's a fly ball to short left center field. Doby coming in on the dead run. Boudreau going back. Boudreau takes it. Boudreau, Mitchell, Gordon, 
and center fielder Larry Doby were all in a little ring around a rosy group as Boudreaux took it for the second out. Alvin Dark, the brave shortstop, comes up. The Lake Charles youngster reached on an error in the first and scored the only Braves run. In the third inning, he singled the left, and then he was a strikeout victim in the fifth. So Lemon has two men out. He's pitched excellent ball since that second inning. The pitch. Ball one. He was in trouble several times during the game. There were two runners aboard in the first, second, fourth, sixth. But he has pitched himself out of every hole. And the run is unearned. The pitch. A fastball outside, and Bill Summers calls that one ball two, two and nothing. Jim Hegan throws it back to the pitcher and goes back to his position. Earl Torgerson is in, in, in the on-deck area. There isn't any circle here at Bracefield, as in some parks. Lemon turns his back to the plate, uses the rosin bag. It's a chill day, especially in the shade, and that's about half the field. Two balls, no strikes. The pitch. There's a fly ball to right field. Clark is back after it. He comes in and takes it. And that's a one, two, three inning. The second time in the ball game, the three Braves have been up and down in order. No runs, no hits, no errors, none left. As Bob Lemon bears down to try to hang on to this three to one lead, which he now will carry into the first half of the eighth inning. The new Boston Braves pitcher is going to be Nels Potter. In contrast to Johnny Sane's four-hit shutout of yesterday, the Braves today started off with lefty Warren Spahn, against whom all three runs were charged, and they are all earned runs, by the way. Red Barrett relieved in the fifth inning, pitched effectively, yielding a hit, and Nels Potter will now come in to be the pitcher. Potter has a record of 5-2 and two for the Boston Braves, an overall record this season of 8-5, and five, pitching for the St. Louis Browns, the Philadelphia A's, and the Boston National Leaguers. He has a very effective screwball, one of baseball's great pitches. And he's tremendously popular hereabouts. The fans still recall that in the 12th inning down at Philadelphia in one of the late season games, he went in with the bases loaded and no one out, struck out the next two batters, forced the next one to pop up, and then got credit for a 13-inning triumph. It was one of the niftiest bits of relief pitching baseball produced all season. In the eighth inning... Keltner, Dolby, and Robinson will be the batters. Keltner hasn't displayed the power that helped him and the, Re and the Cleveland Indians to their playoff championship victory over the Boston Red Sox. Ken has one hit in the series in seven trips, none in three today. During the regular season, he missed the 300 mark by one point. He'll be followed by Dolby, who has been an effective hit producer today and who drove in a run. The runs in this game for the Indians have been driven in successively by Gordon, Doby, and Boudreau. Potter has finished his warm-up. There's the long throw down to second base. Umpire Bill Summers is dusting off home plate, and the eighth inning of the second World Series game of 1948 will get underway. Cleveland, three runs, seven hits, one error. The Braves, one run, six hits, two errors. The Cleveland error set the stage for an unearned run. The Braves were not damaging. Potter winds up. He pitches, and the first one is close to Keltner. Ball one. That spun him out of the batter's box. He reaches down to rub some dirt into his hands, and he goes back in to take another toehold. They play him deep to the left. Potter takes his windup. 
There's a ground ball that goes by the mound to the left. Al Dark is up with it. Throws over to first base for the out. Torgerson one-hands it. And Potter has retired Keltner on a grounder to short. Larry Doby comes up. His double in the second inning was a thing of beauty. It was one of those hard, low-line smashes directly between McCormick, the center fielder, and Rickard in left, and only McCormick's speed got him in front of the ball before Doby was able to take more than two bases. Doby has a double, a single, and a strikeout. Potter delivers. Low, ball one. Potter's right-handed screwball acts like a left-handed curveball against a left-handed batter. One ball, no strikes. The pitch, outside. That one broke down in the dirt, and the count is 2 and nothing. Doby stayed away from it. The Braves have a lead of one game in the series. The Indians have a lead of 3-1 to one in this one. Here's the windup. Outside, ball three. Potter has missed the plate with three successive pitches. The outfield is playing Doby just a little to the left of center. The three and nothing pitch. Coming up. Strike called. He threaded the needle with a fastball. Doby took it. The count is three and one, and Larry looks down at third base coach Bill McKechnie for his instructions. The Indians have a two-run lead, which they have in the eighth inning. Here it is. Swing and a miss. That was a pitch that missed the outside. Doby went after it. The count now is three and two, and Larry is rubbing some dirt into his hands. As in the on-deck area, first baseman Eddie Robinson is limbering up. Three balls, two strikes the count. Here's the payoff pitch. Strike three, swinging. Potter struck out, Doby. That's Larry's second strikeout, but he has two previous hits for a total of three bases. Two men out for the Indians in the eighth inning. And Eddie Robinson, the first baseman, comes up. He walked in the second. He flied to left fielder. Marv Rickard in the fourth inning, and in the sixth inning, he singled through the middle, but then on that circus catch by Tommy Holmes at the expense of Jim Hegan, Robinson, who was running at the time, was about 25 or 30 feet beyond second base and was easily doubled up. He's a big left-hander. The pitch, swing and a miss. Fastball. That was letter high. The count is one strike. The outfield straight away and deep. First baseman Earl Torgerson is almost on the edge of the right field grass. Potter is getting his sign from Phil Macy, the new catcher. The pitch. Swing and a miss. They're not even coming close to Potter's delivery. Doby and Robinson have missed a couple of those screwballs and fastballs served up by a good foot and a half. Two strikes the count. It's been some time since these players have seen Potter because he was released by the A's sometime back. Here it comes. There's a ground ball hit hard to Stanky. Stanky throws to first, and Robinson goes out four to three, second to first, as Potter retires the Indians in one, two, three order in the eighth. At the end of seven and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston Braves one. Believe me, folks, 49 cents goes a long way when you exchange it for a Gillette Tech razor and five Gillette Blue Blades. Yes, it buys a world of shaving comfort and satisfaction. You see, the Gillette Tech Razor and Gillette Blue Blade are made for each other. So they fit exactly and work together perfectly. The Gillette Tech sets up whiskers as a barber does. 
and sails through him like a breeze. A non-skid tread protects you from nicks and cuts. The blade is held rigidly. There's no edge vibration, whatever. Also, the razor rinses clean instantly, can't clog or gum up. To enjoy smooth, refreshing shaves, ask for the modern Gillette Tech Razor and five Gillette Blue Blades. You pay only 49 cents and get a whale of a value. In right field for Cleveland, as a defensive measure, presumably, Bob Kennedy has been sent. Kennedy is the owner of one of the best throwing arms in baseball, and that is probably the reason for his assignment by manager Lou Boudreau. He went to the Cleveland Indians in a trade from the Chicago White Sox in the same deal that involved pitcher Alan Gettle. Earl Torgerson will lead off for the Braves in the last half of the eighth inning in an effort to try to get to Bob Lemon. Lemon has been pitching great baseball. The only run against him in this contest is an unearned run, and he has a lead of 3-1. to one. Torgerson singled in the first inning and then was picked off second. Strike called. As it developed, that pickoff saved Cleveland a run because it set the stage for the third out when Rickert fanned and Salkeld opened the second with a single. A single that probably would have scored Torgerson had he been on second base. Lemon pitches. Ball, one and one, a fastball outside. The Cleveland outfield now is Bob Kennedy in right field, Larry Doby in center field, Dale Mitchell in left field. One ball, one strike. Torgerson stands up in the batter's box. The outfield is a little to the right. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. That was that sinker ball thrown by Lemon that broke low and Torgy swung over the top of it. One ball, two strikes. Billy Southworth is still doing the coaching at third and Freddie Fitzsimmons is coaching at first base. Lou Boudreau calls to Kennedy, the right fielder, to move in about two paces. He's about 30 feet inside the line in right. The pitch, outside, two and two. Lemon is giving the Braves nothing particularly good at which they can swing. He allowed two hits in only one inning, and it's interesting to note the Braves have not had an extra base hit in the series. Of their total of eight hits, they have all been singles. Here's the windup. There's a drive to center for a base hit. hit for Torgerson in this game, giving him two out of four and two out of six in the series. Bob Elliott comes up. He drove in the Braves run with a single to left, right over the head of Keltner, his very first time up. Cleveland has started to warm up a couple of pitchers, Kleiman and, and Zoldak, I believe. One out of three, Elliott has. He's a right-hander. There's the pitch to him. And it's a strike. The sidearm curveball called strike one. That was letter high. Bob elected to take it. The Braves have the advantage of a fast base runner on first. One strike to count. In his first 18 attempts to steal a base this year, Torgerson succeeded. It was the 19th time that they picked him off. Lemon takes his stretch. He pitches. In the dirt. It bounces in front of Hegan, but there's no base advance. Jim did well to block it. That had wild pitch written all over it, and it landed just 
to the left of the plate in the dirt, but Hegan blocked it with his mitt and his shin guards. He's a very courageous catcher. He handles the plate well, and he has a superb throwing arm. One and one. Base runners seldom take liberties with his uncanny ability to throw that ball right at the second base bag. The Braves' partisans are naturally stirred up over the possibility of a rally. The Braves trail Cleveland. One to three. Eighth inning. None out. Torgy on first. Strike called. A curveball. And he slowed up a little on Elliott. It wasn't a slow curveball, but he did change his pace. One and two. The outfield is positioned to the left. Elliott has just the one hit in six times in the series. In this game, he is single to left, struck out, and fouled to the catcher. One and two. Lemon is ahead of him. There's the stretch. The pitch. There's a ground ball. It goes to Gordon. Gordon throws to Boudreau. That's one. Boudreau to first. Double play. Jorgensen tried to take Boudreau out with a block. Gordon fell to his face so that manager Lou could throw the ball over his head. And it's the second Cleveland double play of the ball game. It goes four, six to three, second to short to first. Gordon to Boudreau to Robinson. And that reduces the danger of a Boston rally in the eighth inning. So there are two men out. The two Cleveland double plays have come at a time when the doctor ordered. Marv Rickert, the batter, he has no hits in three trips. He's a left-hander the player who was declared eligible as a result of the injury to Jeff Heath in Brooklyn. The outfield moves to the right. Here's the pitch. Strike called. One strike the count. Two men out. Eighth inning. As Lemon tries to secure his victory, he has a lead of three to one. And he's pitched a very effective ball game. He winds up. The pitch. Ball one. One and one. That was a fastball. Lemon turns his back. One ball, one strike. It's expected that tomorrow's pitcher for Cleveland will be Gene Bearden. The outfield is set to the right. The delivery. There's a ground ball that goes to Eddie Robinson. He flips it to Lemon. Lemon steps on first for the putout to retire the side. First base to pitcher. No runs. One hit. No errors, none left. Lemon has been all over the field with assists and putouts and is threatening to approach a record. It seems doubtful that he will be able to make the grade. At the end of seven, at the end of eight innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston Braves one. Lots of the players out there on the field are going to change from baseball uniforms to hunting clothes as soon as this series ends. And I guess plenty of you fans will be heading for the tall timber too. Now, before you enter the woods this fall, paste these four simple rules of forest fire prevention in your hat. One, crush out cigarette, cigar, and pipe ashes. Two, break matches in two after using. Three, drown all campfires, then stir and drown again. Four, know the law before using fire. Nine out of every ten forest fires are man-made. Don't you be careless. Now we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Your dial is set at 710, the spot for sports all year round. Your World Series station, WOR, New York. Back at Braves Field in the first half of the ninth inning, Jim Hegan 
the Cleveland catcher will be first up. So far, Bob Lemon has had eight chances, just two shy of the record. Here's the pitch to Hegan. Swing and a miss. Potter threw a curveball. Jim has flied to center. He was given an intentional pass, and then he lined into that double play. Cleveland leading 3-1, first half of the ninth inning, as the Indians battle to get back on even terms in the series. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Screwball right in on the knuckles. This World Series, we're pleased to report, is being shortwave to the armed forces overseas. Two strikes the count. And all over the world. Rages the controversy. Will it be the Cleveland Indians or the Boston Braves? The pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to shortstop. Dark fumbles it, picks it up. There's the quick throw to first base, but not in time. Hegan reaches, and it is an error. That's the third Boston error of the game. It was a hard ground smash, but it was right at dark. Hegan on first base. Bob Lemon coming up with no hits and three trips. And the Braves are looking for the bunt. The applause starts, and then volume is added to it. Lemon tipped his cap, stepped into the batter's box. He deserves it. He's pitched a good game of baseball, and in many respects, a great game. The run, not earned. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. He took a free cut at it. He didn't attempt to bunt. Although third baseman Bob Elliott came in on the grass and first baseman Earl Torgerson acts as though he intends to defend against it. Meantime, he's holding Hegan close to the bag. Nels Potter on the mound is the third of the Braves pitchers today. Warren Spawn started. Fred Barrett came on in the fifth. And Potter entered the game in the eighth inning. The stretch by Potter. The pitch. A missed bunt. Strike two. Bill Macy looked at first base as though he wanted to throw down there in an attempt to try to pick Hegan off. But Stanky hadn't yet come over to cover first, and Torgerson was on his way to the plate in the event the bunt was successful. Two strikes the count. Potter takes his stretch, delivers outside for a ball. One ball, two strikes. No one out in the ninth inning. Cleveland leading the Boston Braves by a score of 3-1. to one. Tomorrow's activity will be in the huge lakefront stadium of Cleveland. There's a throw to first base, but Hegan was right on the bag. One and two. Here it comes. That one just missed the outside corner, a curveball, and the count is two and two. The Braves fielding today has slipped three errors. They've made five errors in the first two contests but none has hurt so far in this one. The pitch outside, three and two. It's something to hear Bill Summers call them. Today's crowd is just a little under yesterday's. The players' pool, however, may result in the largest World Series checks being distributed among the Braves and the Indians in this one because of the tremendous crowds the Cleveland Municipal Stadium is capable of accommodating. Three balls, two strikes. Hegan is standing right on first base. Now he takes a two or three step lead, draws a throw, but there's no tag. Satchel Page is warming up for Cleveland. There goes Hegan, and a foul ball brings him back. Hegan went all the way over to second, touched on the bag, has to return. He was running on a three and two count. Lemon hit five home runs during the regular season, 
and batted 286. He used to be an infielder and an outfielder. He's left-handed and has a lot of power. He's as good a hitting pitcher as you'll find. Three and two, the payoff pitch coming up again. There goes Hegan. There's a ground ball that goes to Torgerson. He has only one play at first base. Hegan moving to second on the out. That is as good as a sacrifice as Torgerson gets an unassisted put out. Bobby Hold, an apple-cheeked right-hander, is warming up for the Boston Braves. The leadoff batter, Dale Mitchell up. He has one hit in this game. He scored the third Cleveland run after singling to left in the fifth inning. He was bunted to second by Allie Clark, who then was playing right field, and manager Lou Boudreaux banged a ground ball right through spawn into center field. Potter delivers. Ball too high. Hegan has a lead of about 15 feet off second base. He lengthens it as the situation demands. One man out in the ninth inning. Cleveland leading 3-1. to one. Potter pitches. There's a line foul down the left field line. The signal was given by the left field foul line umpire, Babe Finelli. One of the spectators fell out of a field box. So anxious was he to get the souvenir ball, but the groundskeeper beat him to it. One and one. One ball, one strike. Manager Lou Boudreaux yesterday predicted that Lemon would stop the Braves, and so far he has. The pitch, strike two, swinging. The screwball, almost down in the dirt. One and two. One ball, two strikes. Tomorrow's pitchers are likely to be Gene Bearden and Vernon Bickford. A left-hander, a right-hander. There's the pitch, and on the ground ball, Hegan goes to third base. The throw is from Stanky to Torgerson for the out with Hegan taking the turn and holding up at third. Before he threw over to first base, Eddie Stanky stole a look at third base to be certain that Hegan wasn't too far around so that he could score on the throw to first. So Mitchell goes out, Stanky to Torgerson for the second out, and Bob Kennedy is up for the first time. He went into right field in place of Allie Clark in the eighth inning. He's a long ball hitter. A right-hander. In the dirt. Nice stop by Macy. That saved a run. He stopped that with his chest protector. Got down on both knees. Blocked it. One ball. No strikes. The Indians have two men out in the ninth inning, and they have a three-to-one lead. Here's the pitch. Strike call. One and one. That was a fast curveball. The pitching mound now is entirely covered by the shadow of the top of the grandstand. Potter looks at third, winds up. He throws, and there's a fly ball to short right center field, coming in fast for it. It drops for a base hit, a Texas leaguer, and it's 4-1 to one, Cleveland. Neither Holmes nor McCormick could get it. A Texas leaguer into short right center field by Bob Kennedy drives in the fourth Cleveland run of the afternoon. Hegan scoring, and that run is unearned. 4-1 the Indians lead as they are trying to wrap it up in the ninth. Kennedy on first base, two men out, and Lou Boudreau, the manager, is up. He has a double and a single, two out of four. The pitch, there's a ground ball, a slow roller that goes to Elliott. Bob charges it, fires it over to first base, and Boudreau is out to retire the side. So in unearned runs, the two teams are even up. Each has one. Cleveland leaves the first half of the ninth inning with one run. One hit, one Boston error, one of three, one runner left, 
and a lead of four to one for the Cleveland Indians. The Braves now face their last scoring opportunity, or what they hope will be, with Phil Macy, Mike McCormick, and Eddie Stanky. Macy entered the game as a pinch hitter for Bill Salkeld in the sixth inning, you'll recall. But whereas yesterday he was able to sprint all the way home hat in hand with a winning run, today he was able to get only as far as second, and then Stanky grounded into a short to second to first double play. Cleveland has made two twin kills in this contest. Macy has an interesting characteristic. After every pitch, almost without exception, he will step out of the batter's box, rub some dirt into his hands, knock the dirt out of his spikes with his bat, and then look in the direction of the third base coach, Billy Southworth, to see whether or not any special instruction is upcoming. It will be Macy, Mike McCormick, Eddie Stanky, unless Billy Southworth has a pinch hitter or two in mind. Jim Russell, we understand, is following these baseball broadcasts from his hospital bed in Pittsburgh. He was one of the Braves who could not play because of injury and illness. The other, Jeff Heath, is in the Boston Braves dugout. And their teammates miss them just as the Cleveland Indians are sorry Don Black can't be with them. A fastball, ball one. One ball, no strikes. Macy's a right-handed batter. The outfield plays him around to the left. Not too deep. Lemon toes the rubber. Takes his usual wind-up, and he fires one. And there is a high pop-up, a foul ball to the right of the plate, and he can take it. He was just about 35 or 40 feet down the first base line when he caught it for the first out. One man out. And Mike McCormick goes up. Eddie Stanky is in the on-deck area. Mike has two hits. He and Torgerson have two each, and the other three hits belong to Dark, Elliott, and Salkeld. The hits in the game are 8-7 to seven in favor of Cleveland. Lemon delivers close and fast. Ball one. Bob is pitching the best game he has pitched in about a month's time. One ball, no strikes. Here's the windup. A fastball for a call strike. That was just below the letters and right over the middle. One and one. McCormick stands with a slightly close stance, not too deep in the box, and fairly close to the plate. Lemon is pitching very deliberately. The outfield is set to the left a bit. The pitch, foul tip, and that one hit Bill Summers in the left knee. And he groaned a little, did a slight jig to try to shake off the shock, and it wasn't nearly as funny to him as it was to some of the fans, I can assure you. In the meantime, Jim Hegan and Bob Lemon are having a little chat about the pitching tactics with Mike McCormick up on account of one ball, two strikes, one brave out in the ninth inning, and the score four to one in favor of the Cleveland Indians. It took the Indians 12 innings to dent the scoring ice in this World Series competition, but once they scored, they liked the habit, and they have scored four times as many runs as the Braves today. Lemon winds up. Here's the pitch. 
A high and wide one. Two and two. Two balls, two strikes. Lemon just toes the rubber, waiting for his sign. Hegan is catching from a crouch. Here it comes. Foul ball. That was hit on the very butt end of the bat and sliced out beyond the dugout, down the first baseline. That's the Cleveland dugout. And it is extricated from the red, white, and blue bunting by the bat boy. Two balls, two strikes. The Cleveland Indians are within two outs of their first victory in the series and an even footing as they go back home to the park in which they play half their games. Two balls, two strikes. Lemon pitches. Swing and a miss. He fires a fast sidearm pitch and strikes out Mike McCormick. Mike becoming the fifth Brave strikeout victim. And Eddie Stanky comes up. He's the last Brave with an opportunity to prolong it. Two men out. Stanky has been at bat only once officially today. He came up in the sixth inning with runners on first and second and one out and hit into a Boudreaux to Gordon to Robinson double play. The pitch. Ball one. If Stanky should get aboard, it is a certainty that there will be a pinch runner. One ball, no strikes. Eddie had a very serious fractured ankle in July and just recently returned. Here it comes. Ball two, two and nothing. Much of the strain is off Lemon because of the fact that Cleveland scored its fourth run in the ninth inning, which means that two base runners would have to reach before the tying run would walk to the plate. He winds up, pitches, strike calls, two and one. Eddie never bothered to remove his bat from his shoulder. He's a distracting influence on pitchers. You know, he holds the National League record for bases on balls in a single season. Foul ball. Two and two. And now Lemon is just one strike away from his baseball goal. He's one of several great pitchers who have made the switch from another position. Two balls, two strikes the count. Two men out in the ninth inning. Cleveland leading four to one. Stanky the batter. The pitch. There's a drive that goes over the glove of Boudreaux to left center field. And the ball is rolling all the way to the fence. And Eddie is gunning it to second base with a double. Stanky got to second. On a drive that went between left fielder Dale Mitchell and center fielder Larry Doby. And Billy Southworth is calling for a pinch runner. Ray Sanders is going to be a pinch hitter for Nels Potter. I don't see a pinch runner, although Southworth did make a motion in the direction of the dugout. So presumably Stanky is going to run for himself. Ray Sanders was declared eligible to replace Jim Russell. That's the Braves' first extra base hit, Sankey's double. Sanders, a left-hander, hits a ground ball right back to Lemon. Lemon runs over to first, flips the ball to Robinson, and is promptly swarmed by his mate as Cleveland wins the second World Series game 
by a score of 4-1 to one to draw up on equal terms with the Boston Braves. The final score, Cleveland four runs, eight hits, one error. The Boston Braves one run, eight hits, three errors. The winning pitcher, Bob Lemon. That's his 21st win of the year, his first in World Series competition. The losing pitcher, Lefty Warren Spahn. And those who profess to be superstitious will be interested in the fact that this season, it's the 13th time he has been beaten. His first in World Series competition. And now, here to summarize and recapitulate the play and point out the high spots of this second World Series game is Mel Allen. I think it was uh, rather fitting that the ball game ended with Bob Lemon tossing out the last batter. Because it was Bob Lemon all the way today. Bob Lemon, who got off to a rather shaky start, perhaps somewhat uh, shaken uh, by World Series jitters being his first uh, fall classic. We say perhaps, we don't know for sure. It may have been that his stuff wasn't working just the way he wanted it to. At any rate, he settled down after a couple of innings. The Braves got off to a one-run lead in that first inning when Joe Gordon bobbled behind him after one was away on Dark's grounder. And then Earl Torgerson and Bob Elliott, singled in succession, scoring Al Dark with the first run of the ball game and giving the Braves a wonderful opportunity to go way out in front since it put runners also on first and second. But then came a play identical with one that the Indians attempted to execute on yesterday that failed by a whisker and resulted in the Braves' victory, and that is an attempted pickoff of a runner at second base. Yesterday, Macy was called safe at second when Feller attempted to pick him off. That was quite the talk throughout the evening and up until game time today. There were those who said the runner was out, those who said that he was safe. In any event, that runner scored, and the Braves won the ball game one nothing. Today, in the first inning, after one was in, Bob Lemon attempted the pickoff of Lou Boudreau, and it worked. They picked Torgerson off second base. Following that, Rickard struck out to end the inning, and if you'd like to speculate just a bit, had the pickoff play not occurred, Bill Salkel, who opened up the last half of the second inning for the Braves, singled to start that inning. So if you care to speculate, it might have meant that the Braves would have had a big inning. But as it was, they got only one run. And then in the second inning, Bob Lemon saw two Braves get on when Salkel singled and Stanky walked, but he settled down to get out of that inning. He had to work real hard. He found the first man getting on in the third inning, Al Dark, with a single. And then on the fourth inning, the first two men up for the Braves got on. Saul Kell on a walk, Mike McCormick on a single. They were sacrificed the second and third by Stanky. But then it was that Bob Lemon bore down to get a Warren Spahn on a bouncer back to the mound and Holmes on a fly ball to left. After that, Bob Lemon was in supreme control of the ball game. And in the only two instances in which he had a little bit of trouble, to the fore came that great double play combination of Gordon, Joe Gordon, and Lou Boudreau to execute double plays in the sixth and eighth innings to... Uh, get Bob Lemon out of subsequent jams. Meantime, the Indians finally got to Warren Spahn, the left-hander, who was attempting to emulate his uh, pitching cohort, Johnny Sane, today. They got to him finally in the fourth inning when Lou Boudreau, the spark plug of the Indians, got the first extra base hit of the series, a double to right, scored on Joe Gordon's single to left, Gordon taking second on the throat of the plate, and then after Keltner had uh, fouled out to Rickard in left, 
Larry Doby singled right to score Gordon, put the engines ahead two to one. And then in the fifth inning, Dale Mitchell singled left, was sacrificed to second by Allie Clark, and scored on Lou Boudreaux's single to center. Again, Boudreaux's name pops up, as it often will during the series. That was the end for Warren Spahn. Red Barrett came on and put out the fire, but the Indians were leading 3-1. Then in the ninth inning, Nelson Potter was doing the pitching for the Boston Braves. Hegan reached base on an error, moved to second and third on infield outs, and scored on Bob Kennedy's looping single to center field. That's the way the runs were scored, and the totals. The Cleveland Indians, four runs, eight hits, one error. The Boston Braves, one run, eight hits, three errors. And so the World Series is all tied up after the first two games. One victory each. The scene will shift now to Municipal Stadium, huge Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. And I know the fans out in that Ohio metropolis are anxiously awaiting the arrival of the two teams to see their first World Series since 1920. And fans, tomorrow's another day. And it will probably be Gene Bearden, the left-hander who pitched the Indians to the pennant in the playoff game against the Red Sox with but one day's rest, going against Vern Bickford, the rookie right-hander of the Boston Braves. And so tomorrow is another day, and Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports will be back on the air promptly at 12.45 Eastern Standard Time to report the third game of the 1948 World Series for you, play-by-play from Municipal Stadium, Cleveland. And just one more note. If memory serves me correctly, that is the first World Series game that a Boston Braves team has ever lost. At any rate, until tomorrow at 1245, until then, smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Jim Britt, and yours truly, Mel Allen.